What's going on, guys? Today's episode is brought to you by Ridge Wallet, and that's because I got sick and tired of my old school bulky wallet. I didn't want to carry in my pocket anymore, and I am not one for man purses. So this is the way I went. Uh, holds up to 12 cards, has a money clip, so it takes care of my stuff that way. The whole thing is about the size of a credit card, so slides right in my pocket, no problem. Also comes in about 30 different styles. This is forged carbon, but it comes in aluminum, titanium, a whole bunch of other colors and materials. If you buy right now, between now and September 18th, any purchase is going to enter you into a contest to win a Jeep Gladiator. You can get the off-road version or the convertible version if you win. And all you got to do is use code RBP or go to ridge.com backslash RBP. Click the link in the description. Go to ridge.com backslash RBP or use the code RBP when you're buying and it'll get you 10% off. Plus it will enter you into the contest. Win that Jeep, guys. Thanks a lot. Check out Ridge. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Real Bodybuilding Podcast. This is episode number 120, and I'm here with Mr. K.C. Mitchell. How are you, sir? Good. How are you? Good, man. I uh, follow you on Instagram and I've been checking out a lot of your, your videos kind of come through and I see some of the stuff you're doing. I'm ex extremely inspired uh, by what you're able to do with all you've been through. And I'm sure a lot of people that are listening maybe don't know what I'm talking about. You have a, a lot of followers some probably a lot of people know you, but I'm sure there's some that don't. Uh, so do you want to kind of describe to people what it is that I'm talking about mainly. Uh, I'm assuming it's the powerlifting. <laughs> uh, the powerlifting. Uh, yeah. So, you know, um, if you don't know me, you know, why, you know, you think people think, well, why is this guy so, what's so great about what he does powerlifting? And the answer to that is, is that uh, I'm an amputee and with my left leg below the knee and then my right leg is um, limb salvage. And, um, you know, I've had an extraordinary amount of surgeries and recovery um, due to, um, you know, being wounded in Afghanistan back in 2010, which I'm sure you and I will discuss. But yeah, I'm, I'm assuming it's the powerlifting. Um, you know, I started uh, this powerlifting journey um, about four-ish years ago, um, just due to um, the challenge of it. Yeah. You know, I first came up, when I first saw powerlifting for the first time, uh, it was, you know, I was kind of like, looking for like my niche or like something that I felt like would challenge me um, mentally and physically that a lot of people weren't doing. And yeah. when I saw powerlifting, I, I don't know, the energy, the adrenaline, the anger, just everything about it kind of just really sucked me in um, more than anything. And so, you know, I had been lifting weights and stuff and I, I just didn't know what type of athlete that I wanted to be or yeah. like where I wanted to like go. And powerlifting is, was it, it's still it, um, you know, and when I got onto the internet, I was kind of looking about, you know, amputee powerlifters and uh, adaptive powerlifting and just, you know, any, everything and anything, there wasn't a lot of people doing it. Yeah, and I didn't yeah. really understand why until I started trying to learn how to do it okay, and yeah. to do it at a level that, you know, at a competitive level um, yeah. where, you know, there's no, um, Alterca alterations that are made for me or anything like that, uh, that it's me competing against able body athletes at mm -hmm. the same level with the same um, rules that they got to 
follow in powerlifting. And so uh, uh, it, it's been a, it was a long journey, yeah. you know, but um, I've been managed to uh, compete and things like that in the in the powerlifting industry. Can I ask you where I'm going to show people just a couple of your lifts, just so we can get that out of the way, just so people know exactly what we're talking about here and how, how impressive it is. Where exactly is your leg amputated? This is your, actually, before you answer, this is uh, Casey's Instagram page. If you don't follow him, it's that one leg monster is his handle. If you're listening on audio um, and it's just spelled KC, the letters KC and then Mitchell. Um, so these are some of your, this is this one. There was one down here that I saw that it was, it was the day I messaged you because it blew me away. I'm trying to find it. It was, I think, I don't know if it was your training partner or I don't think it was your girlfriend, but somebody was smacking you before you were uh, doing a deadlift. Um, that one's up a little ways. Is it? It's up at the top or, okay. So I actually, I think it might be in my reels, that one. No, I don't think so. You know what though? It doesn't matter. Here's I know exactly a- which one you're talking about. You're talking. It's Gracie. So Gracie, yeah, she's um, a powerlifting. She was a big time powerlifter when I first came into the industry, and um, you know she kind of helped prepare me to get ready for my first powerlifting comp. Yeah, and, um, yeah, that one right there. That that one right there is actually at the my very first competition at so, the. Uh, so LA. how much how much is that that you're lifting there? That was 600 pounds. There she is right there. That's this is it. it. This is the one. This is the one, yeah. man. <laughs> yeah. So this was my, this was very intense for me because this was a, the very first powerlifting comp and yeah. nobody had done this. And this lift right here, I have, I had actually missed about six or seven times. I had never lifted this, this weight ever. Um, how much, my, sorry. Right there jumping in the front. <laughs> sorry. How much weight is this? 600 pounds. 600. Jesus. Yeah. And so I had never done this. I had missed it multiple times leading into this comp. Um, Ed Cohen, who's one of the most, you know, historical powerlifters ever. Yeah. Uh, he was there. Um, he was kind of calling my numbers for my deadlifts at the time. Yeah. And I, I let him know going into the deadlift that, you know, I want 600 pounds. And, um, and yeah, so, you know, um, yeah, this is 605 beltless pause rep where I paused this one. So this is where you can see. So people watching, uh, if you're on audio, you might want to check out the YouTube video. Um, for people watching, so you're amputated at the knee? Right below the knee. Right below the knee? Mm-hmm. And there's no, like you still feel you feel like you get full power and everything that way? Because I can't imagine lifting I that. Like I, I can't lift that kind of weight and I'm 100%. I can't imagine you lifting that kind of weight and having... Uh, you know a disability so it's like it's crazy to me to see yeah i i don't it's hard for me to tell you if i do or not because i never power lifted prior to being an amputee i never uh, I, I i don't know what it would feel like to have, have both legs and, and lift like this i never lifted on this level ever this is always in the animal cage uh 630 pound deadlift right here this is a massive deadlift for me um never had lifted this ever how does that feel with all these people watching you it's all crazy you know the story with the animal cage uh, it's really holds really close to me because when I first started my you know just like career of like fitness and powerlifting um you know I got offered to come to the Arnold um to be at a booth yeah um you know obviously at that time I was not very well known at all but you know the guy who offered me to come said you know hey if you you know can get yourself here man you're more than welcome to have a spot at the booth to meet some of your fans and stuff and so that, that, that time that I did that, I remember seeing the animal cage and walking by the animal cage and 
I mean, I can remember like it was yesterday, just running my hands along the cage. And yeah. one of my good friends who did a lot of videography and stuff for me in the beginning, he was with me. And uh, I just remember looking back at him and just telling him like, one day I'm going to be inside this thing lifting because it's such a prestigious yeah. thing to be asked to lift inside the animal cage. Yeah. I mean, the greatest of all times have been inside there. And there's been some crazy lifts that have gone in there. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, a couple of years later, I'm there you are right inside that thing. And um, I've lifted in it three times and, you know, I just, it's, it's incredible the atmosphere inside yeah. that being surrounded and um, just, and not just by the people, but by the legends that are inside that cage too, that are just screaming at you and hyping you up and they want to see it too, you know? Yeah. So yeah, it's an incredible feeling. Um, something that, you know, obviously keeps me going and keeps me doing this because, you know, powerlifting is hard on the most elite powerlifters. You yeah. know, it tears our bodies apart. It's mentally tough. Um, you know, I've been doing this for quite some time and it's just, it's painful. It's, it's, it's slowly yeah. getting to a point where it's starting to break me down a little bit and I'm trying to figure out new ways of like how to still could be able to compete. Sure. Uh, but uh, yeah, being inside there with all the people, it's a very surreal feeling to be inside yeah. there. So now that people know who you are and what uh, actually, I just want to show one more photo because it's actually very telling. Um, this kind of says a lot. Yeah. Kind of just that, that starting photo there. Yeah. Is kind of, uh, you know, the, the thing that's impressive to me is people complain a lot about training and about their adversity. And I've gone through some adversity that I thought was the end of, you know, the end of the world. And to see you kind of have uh, a disability and go through like it's not theirs is the inspiring part. But now that people know kind of what it is that is uh, inspiring about you and what it is that you do, I kind of want to get into how it happened and where it kind of started. So where did powerlifting start and were you working out before, were you working out at all before the injury or no? Yeah. So I worked out a lot different. It's funny. Cause just yesterday I went to my storage unit to pull out some of my old military stuff and I had, you know, I had a t-shirt in that. And I was like, Oh man, I'm going to pull this t-shirt out and wear it when I do so and stuff. It's yeah. a size medium. You know? and I was kind of laughing at myself. Like, man, I used to remember the really thing I was jacked back then, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of funny, but I lifted, I, I, I would do, I would say I did more like bro lifting. Um, yeah. just kind of just go to the gym. I was always, uh, I, my whole entire life, I've always been a small guy, but mm -hmm. I'm always in shape type of guy. Um, but um, I was, uh, I did a lot of uh, MMA fighting Okay. while I was in. Um, that was kind of like what I did as an athlete, I guess you could say. Sure. But being my, my MOS, which was my job title in the military, which was an uh, airborne infantryman, uh, being a huge jack dude is not the best thing, you know? Yeah, we yeah. We need to be quick, agile, maneuverable. Um, so I was just always just really in shape and, you know, I could wake up in the morning, and go run 10, 15 miles, no problem. Mm -hmm. as, well, obviously because just because of the injuries alone, that's a little bit more difficult, but, um, even being the size like you are and, and, you know, me and stuff like that, guys like us, we just can't wake up and go try, no. you know, <laughs> no, miles, I haven't you know? ran, I haven't ran in like a decade. <laughs> yeah. So it's a little different. Um, yeah, I, uh, as far as like powerlifting, I never got in, I never even knew much about powerlifting until I went to Las Vegas, um, with some friends. And, you know, they were having the, um, like the, the national championships there. And, mm -hmm. um, I watched a guy who actually coaches me now, his name's Brandon Allen. Um, he's a world-class power lifter. Um, I, I just remember him coming out behind the curtain and just the amount of intensity that there was, it just, 
it, it sucked me right in. And I, and I, and I was like, this is everything. Cause I, I, I couldn't find anything that got me riled up. Like back when I used to cage fight or something like that, yeah, like yeah. just that intensity, you know, and I, I, I bodybuild, you know, I trained, I had trained with some of the Chris Gatton, who's a freak you know, to train with. I mean, I'm sure you know who he yeah. is. He, you know, I've trained with him. I, you know, I was really close with Rich Piana back in the day, you know, he was wild and, you know, and I just, I would been, I'd been around some, you know, Michael Hearn, I trained with that yeah. guy and he's a legend, you know, and so I trained with some people, but yeah. it just, it, I liked the intensity, but it's just powerlifting was just on a whole different spectrum for me, the way it pulled me in. And mm-hmm. so, uh, I know I had never done it prior to. So uh, that first competition you saw the first powerlifting competition you saw that was after your injury. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So can we go back? So you're an airborne infantryman. Is that what you said? Mm-hmm. Is that what you start as, or is that something you kind of graduate to when you uh, when you enter the military? Oh, oh yeah, when I when I joined the military, you know your job, you know you know you're gonna go to infantry school, and then you know they at that time I'm 18 years old. They're like, hey, you know we'll pay you 150 extra bucks a month if you jump out of planes, and I was like, hell yeah, you know, that's how they get you. And then they give you know they're like, we'll give you a ten thousand dollar sign on bonus too, and you know, I never even seen $10,000 at 18 years old. You know? and so <laughs> yeah. they, they got me good. And next thing you know, I'm in Georgia, Fort Benning, Georgia, going through infantry school. You know, obviously you got to graduate basic training and all that. And, and uh, went through that and then graduated, hopped on a bus and took me a few miles down the road to, you know, get ready to jump out of airplanes for a few weeks. And so, <laughs> so, so in your, in your job in the military, like when you actually get past the schooling, mm-hmm. how often are you jumping out of planes? Um, so I was doing it pretty often. So I, my first duty station was Fort Bragg, North Carolina. It's an okay. airborne unit. Um, we, you know, we're jumping out of planes pretty often out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I deployed um, to Iraq in 2005 through 2006 out um, um, in Baghdad, Iraq. And then um, once I kind of got back from there, I re-enlisted and got moved to um, Fort Lewis, Washington, yeah. um, which there was no airborne unit out there. So my, um, I wasn't jumping out of planes at all up there. What's the highest altitude you've jumped from? I couldn't tell you to be honest with you. No, so long ago. No. Is it? Oh, it's low flying though. It's you're not you're you're you don't even really you just kind of more fall. Okay. You know? yeah. it, get troops on the ground very very quickly. Is it? Is it terrifying the first time, or is it just something you get terrified and then you get used to it, or what is it like? Um. So my first one, it's I was a door guy, so that means uh, when the we get ready to go, I'm literally the guy standing out the door while everybody's kind of sitting. Yeah. Guys in the back, it's great because you just really shuffle out the door. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. You don't see anything. Yeah. You always know you're in the air, but you don't see shit. You just kind of right out the door, you know. <laughs> you know, I'm sitting there like, you know, looking. I'm like, I'm about to jump out of this perfectly good airplane right now. My very yeah. first time. Yeah. I was a little, a little, uh, little like, you know, obviously nervous. Never done mm-hmm. it. Um, had a lot of training leading up to it. Um, and I just remember like, you know, the light goes green and you get smacked on the butt. And you just kind of just fly out you know like, like, you know you're just floating in the air you know so it, it's kind of it, it happens so fast you don't really have yeah. a lot of time to sit there and think about it you know and like i said the guys in the back they're just funneling out of a, out of an open door yeah you have to ex- you have to excuse me if i'm asking a lot of like really sim- simple questions about i'm really interested in military stuff yeah yeah it's always been a fat i've always been fascinated by and I don't feel like you get enough. I don't feel like I ever get enough information from the news or even some documentaries. So it's kind of like talking to you one-on-one. I get to get the little nitty gritty things. Yeah, of course. I don't um, so you said you deployed to Iraq in 2005, 2006. Now that was probably some of the heaviest fighting. No, my Afghanistan was. Was worse? Insane. Compared. So in 2005, 2006, Iraq, what was that like? It was that, was your, that was your first time at, at yeah, going to. Yeah. Going, I was about 18, 19 years old. 
maybe 19 years old at that time. Um, it was very, you know, intense. Um, uh, I mean, my very first mission out was, uh, uh, was an IED sweeping uh, mission in the middle of the night where we basically do route clearance, basically, is based, you know, where I was a gunner, as a 50 cal gunner, machine gunner on top of a Humvee, and I just had a spotlight, and we're just cruising the road at a very slow pace looking for roadside bombs. Wow. Um, it was my very first mission. You know, I didn't even know the landscaping very much or, like, you know, the city itself very much. It was yeah. just, hey, you guys got to go out and, you know, because you got to keep up the sweeps. Um, a lot of um, patrols, a lot of convoys, you know, they, they move through. And, and that's the what, the, you know, at that time, you know, they were, uh, the terrorists were targeting was those convoys and yeah. things like that. Because that's what's getting supplies from point A to point B and moving troops. And there's a lot of things going on. So, mm -hmm. you know, it was very intimidating, you know, my very first one. And, you know, my very first mission out, um, we went out and we were um, clearing a route and we came up on uh, a little girl sitting up, sitting on a crate. Yeah. We couldn't figure out, like, why is this little girl sitting on a, on a crate in the middle of the night? And um, we had known that they had been using um, kids uh, to bait us in. And uh, sure enough, there's an IED in place right near her. Um, that, would, that, that would be command detonated by somebody watching us. Yeah, yeah. Um, look good, all good news. You know, we ended up calling in a couple Abram tanks and kind of being able to block off the IED, um, yeah. you know, using the tank as a shield where somebody could run back there, grab her, get her out of there. That's um, so and, insane, uh, man. It's crazy. It's just the way it is. And that was my very first, like, oh, shit, you know, this is, this yeah. is real tough. And, and then, you know, it was just um, a lot, a lot, uh, a lot of that over in Iraq for me, you know. And, uh, and then, <clears throat> you know, I was there for from July of 2005 to November 2006. So I was okay. there for a very long time. Uh, yeah, was, yeah. That, was the, that was during the, the very first time that they started extending, um, you know, tours. troops over there, like making yeah. a stay longer than a year. Um, yeah. The army does a year. I think the Marines do like six to eight months. I could be wrong, but I think that's what they do. And then, you know, they were pushing the Marines out for longer and they were pushing us, you know, out to a year and a half of being, you know, deployed. But yeah, we just, we moved all over that, that dang country. You know, we when you're there, that. when you're there for the first time and you start getting kind of accustomed to the danger and do you, during that first year or more that you were there in Iraq, did you experience any loss or any injuries yourself or any loss of any friends or anything like that? Or were you pretty much in danger, but got through it. Okay. Yeah. So my first deployment, we, we had some guys that got wounded. Um, we had no KIAs. I believe that with, in my company, um, we had no KIAs in my company. Uh, but we had obviously when, you know, those bombs go off, it does some good damage. Um, uh, it was just a, for me at that time, what our job was, there was a little bit just different, you know, yeah. I, I don't know, just a little bit different compared to like when I went to Afghanistan, where, you know, my, my battalion was one of the hardest hit battalions in like the Afghan war, okay. was army battalions. It was unreal. Just so, a different, different, just different. So when you come home from Iraq, how long are you here before you reenlist? And why did you reenlist? Did you, did you think like, did any part of you think I'm, I don't want to do this again? Or were you certain you were going to go back once you got here? I was, I was, uh, I don't know. I, from the moment I kind of got to basic training, um, I'd always wanted to join the military. When even I was young, I was already going to like little military like schools. Oh, okay. Know? You know, my grandfather was World War II veteran. I looked up to him. Like, I mean, I mean, the guy was just, you know, he was in World War II. Yeah. I received the Purple Heart from wounds over there, and he was just about all around badass. So I really just, really looked up to him. And so I always knew I was going to join the military. I didn't mm -hmm. know like, when, you know. Um, but yeah, no, it's just um, once I kind of was in basic training, I 
I never was ever like, I don't want to do this. Yeah, uh, yeah. Even when I was in Iraq, there was never a point where I was like, this is not where I want to be. Okay. You know? um, and then when I got back, you know, during my deployment, my platoon sergeant at the time just saw a lot of like leadership from me saw you know that i was like somewhat of an intelligent and tactical person mm. uh, you know i just seen things you know when i was a pfc i was building route plans and and, and giving out you know uh, missions in, in front of high-ranking people about our mission that we're about to conduct you mm -hmm. know so he was uh he really put me into a lot of you know leadership roles um as a very young you know soldier in the military yeah uh, and then when i got back uh you know he let me know that, um, you know, he was going to get me promoted to E5, which was a sergeant, but he wanted me to reenlist. And yeah. I said, oh, no, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So I reenlisted. And, and after I reenlisted, you know, five, six months later, I was getting promoted to sergeant after going to the, uh, the NCO board. And then, um, yeah, and then I got um, reenlisted and then I got moved out to uh, Washington State, which uh, when I got there, there was a, a striker brigade being built brand new. Um, What's a, what's a striker brigade? So a striker brigade is, um, it's basically based off of a vehicle. It's an eight wheeled vehicle, okay. um, tank on wheels, okay. uh, moves very, very fast. Um, when I remember seeing those the very first time when I was in Iraq back in 05 and, uh, I was just like, Oh, these dudes are the bad dudes. Like these guys <laughs> would roll up. I mean, they would roll up four, four strikers. They'd roll up, you know, machine guns, soldiers coming out of the back of it. And, just it was like as soon as they got there, it was just like we're here to kick. Yeah, is, that's it. Is this it here? Those are them. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> of different ones. Yeah. So you got to, you got there, and they were building this for the first time. They were they were um, building a unit. They had had these out in different areas. Oh, okay, um, okay. Of, uh, other bases, but they were building a brand new battalion of these up in Fort Lewis, and um, we were gonna. I was gonna be. I was basically being a part of that um, brand new unit being stood up. That's funny. That right there. There's there's some pictures of like yeah like this one right here with these soldiers that's exactly what our vehicles look like right this here. This is crazy, man. Yeah, these are things that are these things will move sixty plus miles an hour through the through the desert, you know they, and they and we'll you know they they come with RPG cages. Yeah, that's that's exactly what it looks like. Yeah. That's so crazy. Okay. Yeah, so what you got is you got you know you got this that machine gun up top there. Yeah. And inside down inside there's a guy who sits almost in like a like a pilot chair with screens. He doesn't even um, so that machine gun that's right there. Yeah. That there, there's a guy controlling that from the inside. Okay. okay. And and that I mean that thing is that thing's deadly. And then you know that so that guy sticking out that that's where my location was in the vehicle. So you were um, the guy you were the guy sticking out. Yeah. So that whoever usually sticking out of there is the highest ranking one in the vehicle and also the commander of that vehicle. Can I ask was, a stu can I ask a stupid question? No, go ahead. Okay. So part of me thinks the highest ranking guy would be the guy that is the most important in the, in the unit that should be kind of out there watching everything. But right. the other, but the other, my other side of me also thinks the, the, the highest ranking guy should be protected. So does it, <laughs> yeah. does it, does it make, does it make sense that you're like sitting at the, like you're the only one out of the tank? Like, yeah. Yeah. It's well, it's me. And then in the back, it usually have a couple soldiers. We call them air guards. They're okay. kind of there to watch our, you know, the rear end um, yeah. for security. Um, we basically are able to provide, you know, 360 degrees of security like that. So, okay. um, yeah, uh, me sticking out, you would think that, but, uh, <laughs> you know, we're up there to see and, and control yeah. everything and anything that's going on. You know, yeah. you get a lot, being outside the vehicle, I can see everything. Um, yeah. But, yeah, so, no, we, we stick out there. And then, like I said, I have two out in the back. but And then inside is my whole squad of guys. How so, many guys does that thing carry total? Um, you, I mean, you could, you could squeeze about seven to nine in there, depending on 
what wow. you got. Yeah. So That's pretty awesome, have, man. Usually you have a driver, you have, you know, and then you have your gunner, and yeah. then you have your squad, you know, which is, you know, about, you know, seven, eight guys, and then, you know, me in there as well. So, you know, um, we're all in there together. So it's usually, you know, four, four of those vehicles per platoon. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, each platoon carrying anywhere from seven to nine guys. How long does that, those nine, let's say there's nine guys or 10 guys, whatever it is. How long do you guys stay together or does it matter? Like, do you guys just, the nine guys can rotate to any, any uh, nine guys. So they, they can potentially move, but, um, like for me, for example, my guys were some of them who eventually became sergeants while I was over there. I got them when they were private. So you're talking, I had some of my guys that had been with me for three to four years before yeah, yeah. You know, while we were in Afghanistan. They so you're were, building some really serious bonds in that time. Oh yeah. You live together basically. Cause like those vehicles, especially when I was in Afghanistan, we kind of like, we, we didn't really have a lot of places to go for where they put us and yeah. those vehicles, we can kind of pack those things full of stuff and live out, live out of them for quite some time. And that's what we did. So yeah, you build a very serious bond. You sleep inside there together sometimes. I mean, yeah, yeah. That's a very serious bonding uh, and, and just like a team and guys that you really kind of just, they're your brothers. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So what year, uh, how many years were you back before you ended up leaving for Afghanistan? So I got back in 2006 and then I was in Afghanistan in 2009. Okay. And you said that was the hardest part. That was tougher than Iraq. Oh, it, What's I, Afghanistan like? You know, because every time I watch any type of any type of uh, news or anything about Afghanistan, all you hear about is the terrain and how hard it is to manage. And is that, what was your first impressions on landing in Afghanistan and kind of being there? Um, you know, so we, I landed in um, Kandahar Air Base. Um, that's where we were my whole brigade was going to push out of um, into all of our places in, um, in Afghanistan. Um, so we basically pushed out of there and we had a very long drive to the area that we were going to be, you know, controlling. Um, and I remember we got to, we left, we left in the morning. So we kind of drove all through the city of Kandahar, which is very, it's like a city, yeah. you know, just like a city you would see anywhere. Obviously not as like, like, not like LA or New York, but yeah, they have big buildings um, you know, like flea markets all over the streets. It's very chaotic with people, you know, and there's no yeah. really laws out there, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. About how to drive and stuff like that. But, you know, and then we move through there. And then as we're, you know, going out to our area, you know, we come out to an area that's like open desert. And then all of a sudden it's like, you look and there's like, a, it looks like a, a damn jungle. That's around, really you know, like a jungle. Yeah. And I, you know, that's all, you, you know, I'm sure we'll eventually get into that story, but and then all of a sudden I'm in the mountains and like these yeah. vicious looking crazy mountains and it, the terrain is just, it's crazy. It's just, there's everything there. What is From, it about is our, obviously you've become, how long were you in Afghanistan? Uh, a year. A year. So you obviously became a, uh, familiar with some of the people there. Is the terrain bother them at all? Or are they just used to it? They're like, do they kind of just kind of breeze through it? Like it's nothing. I tell people I've never seen people move so fast through the mountains in my entire life on foot. Really? how fast they can move, how fast they can move through mountains is crazy. I was, and I just, and forgive me if this is silly, but I was thinking about uh, the movie Lone Survivor. Yeah. When I heard that, when I heard that part, I, I laughed because I was like, I remember the first time being like, how do they move so fucking fast? Because <laughs> that's what they, that's what they said in the movie, right? They can, uh, they, they've lived there their whole entire lives. Yeah. It's nothing to them. You know, we're not out, you know, even though when I was getting ready and we were in a, a training, um, in, a, in a training area for over a month, where we were, you know, out there trying to, you know, we were out there climbing these mountains and things like that, you know, and um, you just, you still can't 
get on that level. I mean, like, you know, the yeah. movie, Survivor, those are Navy SEALs. Those guys are some of the best trained soldiers in the world. And for them to be like, how are they moving faster than us? Yeah. Means, you know, we don't even, we're not even on that level of training, you know? And so, and, and, and now they just, they just move quick, just move quick. Um, so what was it, what was so tough about your deployment to Afghanistan? Why was your battalion hit the hardest or, uh, or as hard as it was? Well, so we got, we kind of got put into an area, um, where there just hasn't been a lot of troops, which is crazy to think. Um, you know, we, and we got there, there was just a little 15, 20 man Canadian unit that just kind of was there to kind of just make sure that that area didn't get like overran. That's yeah. all they were. For. They didn't really go out and do a lot of patrols. They didn't push out of the base. So when we started coming in, you know, now we're an aggressive unit. So we're there to, you know, hunt down the Taliban and do our sure. job. Yeah. And, and we started pushing out very quickly. Um, and at first it was real funny because at first when we started pushing out, they were, they had never seen these vehicles. We were the first striker brigade to ever go into Afghanistan. They, the Taliban had never seen these vehicles yeah. in Afghanistan. So they didn't really know how to like mess with us. Yeah. They would set bombs and stuff like that. And they'd hit us and we'd kind of laugh. You know, like what the hell is that? You know, like really, you know. And then they would be on their little dirt bikes, and they would pop shots at us, and then we could chase them down in those vehicles. And they could, and not just that, when those vehicles are moving, that gun is so precise; it has a laser where it, it shoots out, blows back, and the gun all it, it elevates itself to where that target was, and we could be strafing them, you know, or shooting warning shots out right in front of their motorcycles on the move. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and they just, I mean, they just, it just scared the shit out of them at first. Um, they didn't know what those, the capabilities of those vehicles were. Yeah. And, and uh, just over time, the Taliban, they're, they're very smart. You know, I don't discredit them. They're very intelligent. Um, and they, uh, they will, they're very disciplined. Can I, and that's, so, huh? Uh, sorry, I just want, I just want to interrupt for a second because a lot of times you hear, uh, when I hear news reports and I hear people talking, they're like, all oh, these, you know, eighth century cavemen, blah, blah, blah. And they're always kind of downplaying them like they're nothing. And, and I'm not saying that they're any better than that, but I always wonder to myself, is that a complete myth? Like, are they actually formidable fighters? They're great fighters. And I can yeah. tell you, probably not a soldier that I could pull right here that's actually fought Taliban and say like, they're terrible fighters. Okay. They're, they're, they're smart. They, you know, they're more of like a guerrilla warfare type of, you know, fighters where it's, they are, they're disciplined. They wait, they don't care to kill you. They actually would like to wound you and demoralize you. And that's what they do. They try to mentally uh, break you down. That's what they, that's what they, they, they don't care if they just take a foot off. They're that, yeah. that, that, that's great because yeah. now it's demoralizing the unit. Yeah. They now we're now having to move a wounded guy. So now we've got guys out of a fight. So they don't care. Um, yeah. and, and that's just how they are. And, and that's, and that's wild to say that, you know, think people that think that because, you know, the, Russia at one point tried to invade Afghanistan and Afghanistan to push them out. That's and right, that, yeah. that area that, uh, where Af the Afghanistan kind of like really tore up the Russians was the area that I was in called the Argandov river Valley Okay, and that's where I was at, which we eventually was like, is basically the jungle um, yeah. inside. There was kind of like Vietnam, um, you know, it's very, it, tons of tons of bushes and trees and water and secret paths and tunnels and yeah. uh, real real wild inside there and that's i mean it, what was crazy is that you know when we would maneuver through there you know we would come across like kids and stuff like that and you could see that russian like um like in them because like you know the russian would do the, the raping of the women and stuff happening oh i see what you're saying and, and you'll yeah. see like an afghani boy that's like bright blue eyes rust hair you know, oh, like, oh, okay. what the hell, you know, and it's yeah, yeah. that time, That's but, right. uh, 
Uh, no, the, 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 the Taliban, to, and especially now, how, how are you going to downplay the Taliban now when what's going on right now is they, they just took over all of Afghanistan and mm-hmm. um, that's the guerrilla warfare in them. That's not guerrilla warfare tactics in them. Every, every single one of us, I haven't talked to one soldier that didn't sit there since all this happened and been like, oh man, I can't believe that happened. We all knew that that was going to happen. When everybody yeah. kept thinking like the war's dying down, no, I, the Taliban will move out. And they will go sit somewhere and they will train and they will regroup and, and they will wait it out for as long as they got to wait it out to come back. And we all knew they were going to come back. Yeah, Everybody yeah. knew they were going to come back. I mean, many nights I sat, you know, out in, in the area and watched vehicles, you know, cross back in and out of the Pakistani border in and out of Afghanistan. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where they're at. And that's where they're at. Yeah. And, and well, actually, I actually watched a documentary about Afghanistan and the people there and how, one of the reasons they're so hard to fight is because of that Pakistani border and right. how that region, that side of Afghanistan and that side of Pakistan is all Pashtun. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so they kind of help each other by going back and forth. So you can't chase them into Pakistan. No. So they just go there and wait and then they come back and do their fighting. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I thought I found that really interesting too. But then there's the other sides of Afghanistan is like very, it's very uh, broken up as far as tribes is what I was told. So, it, was there any tribes or anything in Afghanistan or any any tribes that were friendly to the U.S.? Yeah, so that's the thing. You know, we had a we, we went into a lot of villages, and it's, what's weird though is like you know we have our maps, and we'll be like just walking on these maps, and you know going off these maps, and all of a sudden we would just like literally walk right into a village that's not even on the map because they're just yeah. gypsies. You know, they move yeah. around a lot and whatever. Yeah. But there's many. I mean, I posted a picture um, on my Instagram. I, I think it's up there, and you can see I'm sitting. Um, right in the middle, and there's just, I'm surrounded by Afghani people and young, like what you would be considered military age fighters, and um, that very very friendly village. You can see right there, yeah. This is you here. That's them. And those are all military age fighters right there. Every single one of those guys, you know, potentially could have been, you know, Taliban. Obviously, I mean, you see the smiles, and if they were Taliban, they're not going to be like this with us. They wouldn't be like this. And I mean, you got that's a rocket launcher sitting by me, and we're just, you know, we're hanging out. This is my lieutenant. That's right here. Um, yeah helmet right there that's him this one yeah guys and yeah yeah and so why why um okay so no taliban fighters were friendly to the u.s no but why why were sorry go ahead no i was gonna ask why were these people friendly like what 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 did they want or or why did they see you as being an ally compared to the uh, taliban well the taliban are very controlled uh you know and and they put a lot of terror and fear into people Mm -hmm. and they don't these people don't want that That, Mm -hmm. they don't want that they just want honestly I remember this speaking to some, you know, and them sitting there telling my inter- interpreter, they don't really want us there. And they don't really, they definitely don't want the Taliban there. They just want to be left alone and just live their lives. Cause that's just really what they do. Like, yeah. they're kind of just like ants. They just kind of, they have a routine. They wake up, they do the same thing. This person does this, the women do this, the kids are out doing this. I mean, they just like their normal little life that they live, you know, yeah. it's very yeah. peaceful and relaxing. But when, but the Taliban, you know, they're trying to change a lot of it. And they, and the Taliban are trying to even change, you know, like the beliefs of like the Quran and stuff like that. There would be times that yeah. we would go into in the villages and, you know, we, I personally couldn't touch the Quran, but, you know, our interpreters could, and we would find pages, certain pages ripped out of the Quran that the Taliban yeah. didn't believe in type of thing. Right. Sure. Those people didn't like that. They don't want that. Uh, the Taliban can come into a village and they can make this whole family like get out and, and take over. And, you know, and then, you know, if you don't abide by them, they'll take you out and cut your head off in front of your family. And yeah, they don't they don't want that. But they also knew us being there uh, and us coming to the village. As soon as we leave, the Taliban would come in and question and 
and harm and 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 if there's any type of thing that they felt like they gave us any information or that we were they were being friendly to us or whatever you know they had the potentially of being hurt or yeah. killed and so um, did, did you build an affinity for any of these people did you become close with any of them or was it more did you kind of keep yourself at a distance knowing that you couldn't really save them like yeah, what, what was your feeling with them i was we were always really really friendly with them even the ones that really didn't want to talk to us just because of out of fear of taliban in the area seeing us yeah yeah. Uh, sometimes we would be in the village where we would know that there's actually inside with these men there some of these guys are taliban okay we wouldn't we knew that we we would know but we wouldn't know right yeah yeah yeah, uh, yeah. but the only one that you know we got i got close to is my my interpreter um he was just he was a badass man he was a yeah. great guy very intelligent um you know he hated the taliban his dad had been killed by the taliban and so uh, I would say he was be the only one that I, you know, got close to. Um, obviously, you know, there were some couple of villages that we would go into more often than others. Um, and, you know, you kind of get around the kids and stuff like that. And, and you kind of, it's hard, especially for me, you know, um, you know I, I had, had a, a, a newborn daughter at the time and then kind of going to the village and seeing like little, these little cute little girls and just, they're just so innocent, man. It's hard yeah. to like not have to not feel a certain way, you know, yeah. especially just me being a new dad and, and just me being like a, a human being you know, and, uh, you know, we would play with the little kids and stuff like that. And yeah, you, you it's hard, but yeah. you also understand, you know, you're kind of there to do this job and, and you kind of got to put that type of feelings to the side. Yeah. And so I want, so I, like I want to come back to this uh, in a minute, but since we're kind of headed down this road, I want to ask you about the events of the last couple months. Mm -hmm. So how, and I don't know if this is talked about, I mean, I hear some people talk about it, but it's just become really politicized. So how does it feel being somebody that was there that, you know, poured your heart and soul into it and the guys you were with, how does it feel seeing it just kind of all disappear in a matter of like a month? It's been, it's been one of the most, uh, even, even now I can almost get emotional thinking about it, talking about it. Cause it's just been one of the most devastating things. Um, it's like, <clears throat> like a slap in the face for all of us, you know, uh, yeah. You know, I lost my team leader. His name was Tom Troy. He was full Navajo Indian out of New Mexico. Um, you know, he was one of the first ones to get killed. He got, um, he stepped on a pressure plate right in front of us. And, you know, we, we ended up uh, in an area and, and uh, uh, it took multiple days of uh, searching around to find pieces of him to like, Jesus. you know, say, say that, you know, to, to say, you know, we, so the way it works when stuff like that happens, they're basically like a dust off at the time. There's, we don't have anything really of him to say that he's dead. Yeah, yeah. Right. So we have been looking for two days while still fighting the Taliban into this, um, you know, um, to the jungle area, like I was telling you, into the Argonaut River Valley. Yeah. And, um, you know, and then we, you know, at that same time, you know, Tom, Tom, he got hit. And then once we got into a firefight with the Taliban, which was a very serious fight, it was, a fight that lasted days, you know, um, we had another um, platoon coming in to flank the Taliban and uh, they targeted Yanni, who was a radio guy. Mm -hmm. uh, they basically had a, a command debt IED, which means Taliban was watching and he was targeted knowing that that's our comms guy. Yeah. Press button, detonated an IED on him. We had to go looking for him. Um, eventually, you know, ended up finding Tom Tom about a day or two later, um, found him a long ways away, but found a, a very, Mass, you know, yeah. good solid portion of our guy, and then Yanni the same. Um, you know, we got in there, found him, and had to fight back to get him back to an area where we could um, get him on a helo and, and get him home. 
Um, you know, so I see a, a, just a young guy like that who was just, just a, a badass, man. Yeah. Had no reason to even be there. You know, he didn't have to do anything. I mean, he could have lived a great life on his Indian reservation. And, and then Yanni, they're young. They're just young kids. And then, uh, you know, and then, you know, my, like I said, my unit, we, we got hit. My commander got killed, um, you know, over there along with like, you know, four or five other guys that were in the vehicle. We had another vehicle with a mass casualty that lost about five or six guys. So it was just, it's like, what? And, and, and it's like, and then, you know, it's like, and then the hundreds that got wounded from my unit. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I sit there and I even think of myself, it's like, I, I, I have to live with severe chronic physical and mental pain for the rest of my life. Like yeah. there's not a day I wake up and I'm like, man, this is nice. Like I feel great. I suck every day. Yeah. You know, I, I can't walk Disneyland without starting to sweat from being in like severe amount of pain. And so like, you know, this is like something I'm going to deal with for the rest of my life. And it's like, you know, at the time I would get a lot of people, I get a lot of trolls on the internet about like me being a soldier and stuff over the years. Um, mm -hmm. always, I got way more support supporters than yeah. the guys that want to, but they're like, yeah. Oh, how's it feel to, to how did this is before this all happened? Like, how does it feel to, um, you know, know you lost your leg for this, this, and this, and this, and got your body blown up for this. And it's all a waste. And I was like, I don't know. I don't think it's a waste. Look at what we did. We st we're standing up the government. We got the military going on the people, you know, the Taliban are pushed out yeah. and, and now, but now it's like, I don't have, I have no, I have nothing to say. And I think yeah. that's the hardest thing. It's like, I, I can't say anything. And yeah. I can't say anything, but like, you're right. And I don't, and, and I'm just, I, it, it's, it's hard. That's hard for me to swallow to tell these people like, yeah, you're right. You yeah. know, I did, I did go over there and legitimately fight for like nothing. My guys legitimately died for nothing. So we went to a place and we guys died and guys are now, you know, living the rest of their lives miserable um, for nothing. And I think that's the hardest thing. And I think that's where a lot of us are, are having a hard time. It's a big pill to swallow uh, because this whole entire time we've all been told the reasons on why we're there. Um, and, 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 you know, it wasn't just for, you know, just us because of what happened in 9-11 and stuff like that and terrorism and stuff. It was for to help this country. Yeah. And it was these people that that literally depended on us, yeah, and we yeah. just left them there, and they're getting fucking slaughtered. I think and those, I think those people that are trolling you, I don't think they take the time to listen to somebody like you tell the story about what it is, because maybe they're just thinking of it in one aspect, like oh, Americans have invaded this country, but yeah. you know, showing the photo that we just showed with people around you smiling and laughing, and I don't think they consider that side of it. Because I think if they did, they wouldn't say those things. I mean, there's always going to be assholes that are going to say something regardless. It's but like, like, like we go into these villages, and it's like just smash through these villages and stuff. That's not that's not how it happens. Like, now here's you know, yeah. do, does civil, civilian casualties happen? Absolutely. Sure. There has never been a war where there's probably not a civilian casualty. Shit happens. It's the way it is. But what? But it's not like we go in there and 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 accidentally a little girl got blown up or accidentally a little boy got shot or something, and we're just like we're sorry. Man, yeah. we are doing everything we can to make to, to basically like make it right with that family. And, and is there any type of food, money or gifts you can give somebody to replace a kid or a dad or no, there's not. But it's not like we're like, suck, sorry. And we move yeah. along. Yeah. No, I mean, we've accidentally killed dogs and stuff like that on accident. We go in there and we, we try to make it right and ask them, like, how can we, you know, what can we do for you guys? Yeah. yeah. You know? I mean, there's times that we're taking, I mean, my captain, my captain got, fucking killed going on a going to from our base to uh afghan hospital we, he took a clique of people with him 
of medical people, all kinds of people to go there, a dentist, and just to provide all this dental medical care for free. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, like he wanted to go out there. They wanted to go out there and do this mission. Sure. And 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 he, on his way out there, he got he got blown blown up, right? And 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 it's just like the people that, that say things that they don't know really, they don't really know. Yeah. They don't really know like what how yeah. we felt about those people or or anything like that. You know, they don't know. They're just assuming. I feel like you know, the same the same Vietnam. You know, we weren't yeah. going there. And I'm not saying anything bad about Vietnam vets, but that that's what there was a lot of bad stuff that happened over there. Yeah. And, um, you know, we, we weren't doing that over there. You know, we were really at one point fighting the Taliban and then a lot of like humanitarian stuff was going on as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, we would bring, I would have my family send and friends send me pencils and color crowns and, and things to give these kids. And I remember the very first time on a, on a, on a patrol, I couldn't understand what this kid was wanting so bad. And it was a fucking pen. He wanted a pen yeah. so he could write. Yeah. yeah. They didn't have that kind of shit over there. And he just literally wanted to have something to write with, you know, and it, and that's such, it just makes you think like, damn, man, these poor kids have no idea, like how we live. They don't have yeah. a fucking clue. And, yeah. and it's just like, and they're so ecstatic about a pin. But and I think it, it'll make the, you think a lot. Uh, it'll make you think differently for sure. Yeah. The same goes in reverse though. I feel like people here don't know how good we have it. Uh, you know what 100%, I mean? So 100%. Yeah. And so you go over there and I remember just like, damn, man, these people like they have no water, no electricity. Like they just, they live so rough, but are legitimately happier than probably some of the richest people in this country. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. It's fucking crazy. Right. To yeah. think that. And, and that, and that's it. And that's all they want. That's all they want. They're just like, it's such like salvation over there for them. And they're just in a place where they, they just want to be left the fuck alone and live their life. You know, mm-hmm. they don't want to be controlled or told by anything, anybody, you know, they just have their villagers. they got the village elders and, you know, and it works for them. And that's just yeah. how they yeah. like it. You know, they're not so, looking to grow and be bigger or do anything that, you know, anything. They just, they're content. So what do you, what do you, like you and others like you do now when the American government has just decided that they're pulling out and they're not going to do anything and they've left, you know, they've left weapons and they've left, you know, I, I saw a report today. They left, uh, I think it's called a biometric data, something where they can actually scan someone's like eyes and see if they like who yeah. they are. They're part of a database. Yeah. Yeah, we had those um, where we were building this database when I got there. Okay. Uh, you know, I, you know, they 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 really kind of started using those when we got there. Yeah. yeah you're talking, we scan eyes and, and everything over there with these like this black box. You know, that yeah. We would scan their eyes and then yeah, it would pull it up on a database. And that was sometimes, you know, um, how we were were tracking and finding certain certain people. Yeah. But they, uh, so they yeah. said they've left those behind now, so the Taliban can use those to see who's helped the U.S. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy to think about, right? Yeah. Like happen as interpreters or any, or t- any type of contractor, they would, they, they, they were able to come work for us, but coming in, they would have to get scanned mm-hmm. and put into a database. So then like tomorrow or the next day, whenever they came back, they would get scanned and pull them up on that database. So yeah. Wow. So yeah. Now they have free reign on tracking down people. And the thing is, is like, here's what's weird is like, I could say some name over here in this, you know, province, this name and he'd be like, Oh, that guy's over in this province. And it's hundreds of miles away, but they fucking know each other. It's the weirdest thing. Yeah. And they can track you down. It's, it's, it's crazy. And it's, it's, yeah. And it's, it's heartbreaking to know that there's people over there that are hiding, having to hide because they know that it's a Taliban find them. They're going to get killed. I mean, the Taliban from the news that I've seen have been going house to house and, 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 and hurting, killing, torturing, cutting people's arms off that had anything that did any type of help with 
any type of you know United Nations forces that that, that went against the Taliban. Can I ask you uh, a flip side question, just to just to play devil's advocate for a second? And, and this is not you know my beliefs aside. So for the people that say, well, how long were you going to stay there, and what this was going to be inevitable no matter what, or those kind of things. Like whenever you leave, like you said, like the Taliban is just going to wait you out anyway. Yeah. So what do you say to those people? Because if there's no type of withdrawal that would help, then how do you get out of there? Afghanistan, the problem with that. Okay. So why is Iraq so great still? Iraq, mm. I, I mean, when I say great, it's, they're not, they're handling their shit. Over there. Yeah. They're yeah, going to yeah. have their religious wars and all this. We have our own shit going on in the state. Yeah. So you know, we, they have their own stuff going on, but there's not a, there's not a, what has happened to Afghanistan has not happened to Iraq. Right. Sure. Okay, so here's the reason why. Afghanistan never got the full, like, the full force of us. How mm-hmm. we went to Iraq, they never got that over there. Oh. I mean, how could I, how could I, okay, so how could I in 2009, barely in 2009, get to an area that there had never been U.S. troops yet? Yeah. Why? In, a, in an area that is known uh, Taliban stronghold. Yeah. Why? Why? Well, it's because they weren't, they were never, they, Afghanistan never got the full focus. Mm-hmm. We didn't have as ever, you know, we didn't have that many as the troops as we did in Iraq. We flooded Iraq and wiped that place out of everything that was Saddam Hussein related, Al Qaeda related. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. When we, I never felt like Afghanistan got that full, got that full thing. And not just that it's okay. At at every major war outside of Vietnam. Okay. What did, what did we always do? We always left a, 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 a U.S. military stronghold there. Yeah. For that reason, for that exact reason. I mean, how can you not look back on history and be like, oh, back in World War One, World War Two, you know, we put bases. I mean, we still have bases in Italy. We have bases in Germany. I yep. mean, why? Yep. Why? Because it allows us to have some type of control. Now, do we need control in Germany or Italy now? No, no. Now, but now what it's given us is a way to get to point A to point B quicker. Sure. Right? Build an ally. Afghanistan could have been a very big ally for us. True. Iraq could could have been a very big yeah maybe they didn't really want us there but guess what I would have been as a me as a, as a president I would have been like well you guys aren't ready for us to leave yet if sure. we leave here you're going to get overran and you guys you guys are going to get wiped out and that's exactly what happened yeah. and that's sad that a, a private brand new in the army that's maybe done one deployment in Afghanistan could sit back and be like man if we leave this they're going to get overran but you got these guys president congressman senators that they don't even fucking know that but i got a private who's 18 19 years old that can that knows that and the yeah. reason is because he's fucking there they're not and that's yeah. a big that's that's the problem and if we would have stayed and, and and had an established place in afghanistan one it gives us a really good area to kind of have somewhat of control of sure. like the middle east in the sense of not for oil like some people say i mean that, that was the best thing that everybody's like oh well, how does how does it feel to go there and know that we fought for oil I never seen one oil rig ever in my entire life in Afghanistan. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I live in a place right here where I live at now where it's all oil. Everybody here works in the oil fields. Yeah. I haven't been like, hey, man, we're getting sent to Afghanistan to pump oil over there. Never seen it. So yeah. I thought it was always funny that people said that. No, what it, what we should have been, it should have been there to have like some type of like control or I guess I don't want to say control, security of the yeah. Middle East. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you know, there's a and we have big bases that like Bagram Air, Air Force Base, yep. Kabul, Af- uh, uh, Kandahar, especially Bagram. Bagram, it, it was so massive. That's mm-hmm. where they should have held everything down at, and that's yeah. where they should have kept a lot of troops at. But at the end of the day, they should have 
put a massive influx of soldiers in Afghanistan to really go in there and, and kill the Taliban. Yeah. Uh, you know, let's be realistic. If we really wanted to, when the Taliban were all in there, we could align troops up all up and down the Pakistani borders and all these things. And we did not yeah. No, we allowed yeah. them the freedom to go back and forth and, and conduct themselves how they basically like they kind of wanted to. Sure. Um, and, that, and I think that's, that's the problem. And that's where it's sat at. Like, it, it, was it inevitable, inevitable? I don't think so. I don't think so. Yeah. I think, I think, would you always have had fighters? I think you always would have, you would have fighters, but I think that we could, you could have pushed them out or you could have kept them at bay mm-hmm. for a lot longer. What do you think it is? Like one more question about this and then we'll move on. Cause I don't want to make the whole podcast about Afghanistan, but <laughs> just, just out of curiosity, do you think it's just like, cause I mean, this is probably the most simplistic viewpoint, but do you think it's just, they don't care? Cause the way they're behaving is like people that don't care. They're just like, you know what? Doesn't do we don't care about our weapons that we've left there. We don't care about the allies that we've left there. We don't care that Taliban is going to overrun everything. We're just going to leave. Right. Yeah. Here's what's crazy. Right. It's like I posted this the other day. I said, if my fucking soldier lost a poncho, right. A poncho, if he lost a poncho, Oh, he'd get fucked up. Yeah. That guy, he would have to pay for it. He would, have, but we, but, but they can go and leave helicopters insane amount of weapons and when i say weapons you guys these are not like pea shooters yeah i mean i've seen some special op weapons i've seen i've seen um rockets that can knock helicopters out of the sky i mean they're fucking flying helicopters i mean i saw a video that the taliban are joyriding in a black hawk now at the same time i get that people are like they got fucking helicopters now now what can they do with those they can well they can fly back and forth from pakistan now they can load up cargo they can load, they can go to Pakistan, grab so-and-so high in person, bring him to Afghanistan, fly. I mean, they're, they got a lot of maneuverability now. Now, do I think that that is going to help them in the sense to like cause more problems for us? No, because we could easily go over there and send Apaches and, and, and things and just knock them out of the sky. Why we're not going over there and knocking these things out of the sky, I don't fucking know. I don't get it. I don't have a yeah. fucking We yeah. still have Apaches over there. They're still... Yeah. There's still some U.S. troops over there, and there's because I have a friend that's over there right now. Um, I posted a picture. He's my la- my last post. You know, they're they're the ones in the Chinook right there that are in, uh, in in Afghanistan, and they're moving and helping travel, getting the civilians. They're also the ones that went into the embassy. Those guys right there, they're also the ones that went into the embassy and um, got everybody loaded out up in the embassy and put in that Chinook right there and took to safety. So you know, these guys right there, they're they're over there right now. I, that guy, yeah, that's the that's their Chinook. That's the embassy that was. Uh, that was oh that that's their Chinook and that's the, the the picture that's been all over the internet of them going on to the embassy and uh, and getting the the people over there the ambassador and all them out of there, and they're over there still and you know and that's and they're and I mean that's got to be somewhat intimidating for them knowing that you know they're flying around and uh, you know there's Taliban and stuff that got Blackhawks and stuff in the sky and rockets that can shoot them out of the sky and you know like he said there's not a lot of them there's not a lot of U.S. forces over there so it's very you know, at any given point, he said that if Afghanistan, if Taliban wanted to overrun where they're at, they could. I'm going to ask you another stupid question. How does the Taliban learn to fly the Blackhawk? The internet. Are you and serious? Us. And us. What and do you us. mean? What do you mean? And you? We taught, we taught, we taught some probably, we, we more than likely, we taught the Afghan soldiers. Afghan soldiers ended up teaching them. Okay. I see. And the internet's full of everything. I mean, that's literally, yeah. I was over there. That's how the Taliban started. That's how they figured out how to defeat our vehicles. They know. Really? So the way I got hit was 
they they use pressure plates. So what happens is as a vehicle or a person walks and it hits this pressure plate, the bomb detonates. Is a pressure plate the same thing as a mine? Yeah. Okay. But these are like built by them, right? Okay. Yeah. So what they started figuring out is they started they knew the distance from that front tire to where that person standing out of the hatch, who they know is the highest ranking one, they knew the distance between there. So oh, they, would, uh, they would put the pressure plate up here and the explosives back behind. So I realistically, we would drive right over the explosives. Yeah. And then it would be underneath like where I was standing. That's how it hit me because the pressure plate hit the front tire and explosives hit right underneath directly and opened up my vehicle like like a, like a can opener. Jeez. Okay, and, so uh, let's, let's get into your injury specifically. So that's what happened to you. Yeah. What is that? Okay, so now we know how it happened, but I don't know, without trying to get you to relive anything, how does that, like, what 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 happens? How does that feel? Like, what is going through your mind at that point? Well, you know, I, I was so, I was actually supposed to be going home. Uh, we, we were, I was already packed up, ready to go, because I had gotten there a little bit earlier than my guys. Um, so I kind of was like, no, I'll go on this mission, no big deal. It's just, you know, we're going to go out and do a night patrol in an area where we knew the Taliban had been kind of like at, it was near the Pakistani border and there had been like IEDs and stuff. And so we were out there trying to, you know, you know, do our, do our mission and do our job. And we were just out just rolling around on a night ops and uh, more just like a night patrol. Mm-hmm. And so I was the second vehicle in my squad. And so we, I remember us driving out and it's open desert. This is basically open desert. It's like some, two o'clock in the morning or something like that. Sure. And I remember us going down into a ditch, a river ravine, and then the vehicle in front of me, he went up and out. And he went to a little bit to the right. And then my and our tactics are to stay in each other's trails as we're moving. Because, sure. I mean, the vehicle in front has rollers. Yeah. Because we knew that they, what they were doing is they were putting explosives out here, detonating here. So we had these rollers that put out pressure, and they would roll. So if they did hit a roller, it would detonate in front of the vehicle and kind of just, like, lift it up and set it back down type of thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what happened was is that because we went down in that ravine and bucked up out and the truck came down, my driver just got a little bit out of the tracks of the vehicle in front of us. And then there happened to that the IED was sitting right there. And um, just like that front tire hit the pressure plate, the explosive detonated directly underneath me and yeah. just opened the vehicle wide open. And uh, yeah. So the, the way it worked for me was, is uh, I didn't think I'd gotten hit. Um, I was very good at finding IEDs. I mean, I have tons of videos of me yeah. finding bombs, blowing them up myself and stuff like that. I've been doing it for so long. And, um, when we first, when it first happened, I remember just kind of like waking up and I didn't even know I was hit. I thought we had rolled our vehicle yeah. because the last thing I remember was the vehicle was way up in the air. That's kind of like what I remember. Yeah. And I was like, fuck, you know, we rolled our vehicle and yeah. so I'm yelling at the guys to, you know, kind of wake up. They were all unconscious. And then that's when I could start smelling the explosives. Sure. And I could tell my guys were out cold. I saw a lot of smoke happening and, you know, my commander in a whole vehicle, had gotten hit by a massive pressure plate and the vehicle caught on fire and um, they died um, burning alive inside of it. So it was all a very scary thing for us after yeah. that. Well, I started screaming at my guys to wake up and get out of the, out of the truck. Sure. So they started waking up and they started getting out. And as they started, as they went to get out, I went to like move and to get out. And I realized my legs weren't working and I just was like, fuck, I, my legs are blown off. And so I had my helmet light on and I took my glove off my hand. I'm like rubbing my, and I could feel my legs but they weren't working and i just remember like looking at my hand i could just see all kinds of blood dirt battery acid when you sorry sorry interrupt when you say they weren't working is it like a paralyzed feeling or were you just like in so much pain you couldn't move or what was 
like paralyzed feeling. Like yeah. I just you just couldn't, couldn't you couldn't get them to do to do anything. No. And so I'm sitting there like, fuck, you know, I could feel them. I'm just like, they're, they're, they're just mangled. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, obviously I couldn't see what my legs looked like. Sure. So I remember then trying to reach up. We had these handles that were strapped to the ceiling of our vehicle. And I went to go try to grab a handle with this hand and this hand wasn't working. And so I was like, fuck. So um, I was like, you know, trying to figure out what the hell I'm going to do. And then my guys realized like, hey, where's Sergeant Mitchell at? He's not. Oh, they had, they had woken up. They were already out. They got out. Oh, they, they got, okay. Yeah, they, they started pulling security, getting everything out. Okay. And then all of a sudden I see, you know, two of my soldiers run in the vehicle because it's a big hatch and they run in they see I'm just fucking trapped down by shit. And I'm like, yo, you guys, I can't fucking move. Yeah. And so they, I, they turned their lights on and I could see the look on their face like I was fucked up, you know? And one came behind me and grabbed me underneath and the other one grabbed me by my legs and they just kind of picked me up. And when they picked me up, I remember seeing my right leg just kind of free swinging around. So I had dislocated my knee completely fully. Yeah. And it was just swinging. And then my other leg was still there. It was just, you could just tell I was bleeding, you know, and I was pretty yeah. bad. And then I had shrapnel because of the way it came through it. All the shrapnel went underneath my vest and I got peppered basically. Sure. And then my arm, my arm um, was swelling very yeah. badly. So I had compartment syndrome in my arm. And so what's, I remember what's, just, com- what's compartment syndrome? It's just when you have like, I guess it was just like internal swelling. Okay. Okay. And where the body starts. So this, my arm actually got like the size of my leg and they wow. had to uh, cut me from, cut me from here to here to relieve the pressure or else I would have lost my arm. Right. Sure. And so I remember them just getting me out, bringing me around the vehicle, setting me on the ground. And that's kind of like, I was like, okay, how bad am I? You know, my doc's like, you're pretty bad. We got to get you fucking, you know, we got to get you out of here. And he just started working on me, giving me IVs, giving me morphine. And then, um, you know, we waited for a, a, a So, Casey, mm-hmm. can I ask you, at that point, is the leg still intact? Yeah, yeah. Oh, was, okay, okay. It was just mush, basically. Yeah. Like when you say mush, like everything, like the bones are all uh, broken. and Yeah, it's just crushed. And um, uh, and so I had compartment syndrome on that leg as well. And so, yeah, so basically I'm sitting there. They're working on me. Uh, my driver, he had had a severe... Um, uh, brain injury, you know, cause he was in a hatch and when the explosion went off, the, the pressure hit, hit his head, hit the top of the hatch so hard that there was an indent in his Kevlar from the handle of, the, of the thing. So he had like a, you know, some brain stuff going on. He lived, my whole vehicle lived, you know, they put me, um, couple, um, couple of my guys, they didn't want it. They were not leaving. They got banged up pretty bad, but they just stayed, you know, just hard ass dudes. And yeah. so my driver, we got, um, meta, meta backed out and, I was a w- in and out. I was in and out for a while. And then um, I remember just kind of getting to the, the base. And as soon as we get to the base, I remember just that I, getting, getting ready to pull me out of the helicopter. I just remember just telling him, don't you fucking drop me, man. Cause I was in so much pain. I'm yeah. like, don't fucking drop me. And no, next thing you know, I'm inside the hospital and, and then uh, I'm talking to some people and um, uh, the sec def at the time, uh, Admiral Mullen, he kind of came in. I had met him a bunch of times and, he uh, had seen that I, you know, had heard that I was hit and yeah. uh, came in and kind of seen me and stuff like that. And and then uh, next thing you know, I, I was just in a, in a long road to like, you know, trying to stay alive, basically. So you were, so it wasn't just your leg, like you were, were they worried that you might die? Like, yeah, yeah, they were, you know, when I, when I got to uh, Germany, they were almost going to fly my family out because I didn't know if I was going to make it or not. Jeez. You know, when they, they, they were about to fly my family because they didn't know I had severe blood clotting going on. Yeah. Um, I, I, was, I went unstable. When I went from Kandahar um, uh, to, uh, I think it was Kandahar 
I was getting ready to fly out. And then they, you know, we had, I got stopped in Bagram because I went unstable. So they had to stabilize me in Bagram. And then from Bagram to Germany, um, you know, they got me there. And then in Germany, I was just a mess. I had severe blood clotting going on. You know, they couldn't put a pick line in me because I would just clot. And, uh, you know, so I, yeah, they didn't know. They didn't really know what yeah. was going to, how things were going to go for me. Um, and then, I mean, I remember, I remember quite a bit of stuff, man. I remember waking up at one point um, in an airplane and just asking for like some water. And I remember just kind of like, I can like vividly remember just seeing a bunch of beds with soldiers like stacked, like cots. Yeah. And, you know, and I remember just this red light, you know. In the, and, that's in the plane. In the airplane. Yeah. yeah. Flying. I remember that. And then I remember, um, I remember being transported once I landed in uh, Washington, D.C. at Walter Reed. They were transporting a few of us on an ambulance, uh, kind of like a transport ambulance. I remember seeing this girl. She had had her leg um, blown off. And she was sitting there and I remember trying to tell her like, Hey, it's going to be okay. And trying to like, just, you know, talk to her a little bit. And then I remember just going through the, these big entrance doors of the hospital and just seeing all these, you know, all the state flags and everything, and all the medical personnel there, personnel there that are there to welcome us and let us know, like, you know, just yeah. kind of try to keep. And then after that, I don't remember, <laughs> I don't remember anything. I was in ICU for a few months. Yeah. And then, um, you know, but so at what point during that stretch, so we'll fast forward at what point do they wake you up and go, Hey, we're going to have to amputate your leg. So I voluntarily amputated my leg. Can you explain how that happened? So, yeah. So basically my leg was so badly damaged. Um, they were trying to save it. Um, it was limb salvage at the time. I had this big halo around my leg. that had all these pins going in it to try to save the bone, mm -hmm. um, get the bones to kind of get back together. Uh, there was like a couple of options, you know, they said that I could keep my leg, but they're going to do all these fusions and all these things. And, you know, uh, my mobility isn't going to be very good, uh, but I'll have my leg um, potentially down the road. I could have to have more surgeries or even the possibility of an amputation. It just, there was so much negative about it. And what was crazy is like, <laughs> I would, I was, when I was going through my rehab, my rehabilitation, I would go down to the amputee ward. That's where I would do my rehab at. And it was all the guys that were in there with amputees, you know, missing one leg, missing both legs. I mean, there was guys in there missing every limb. You know, they would get moved, like, they got literally moved around with the bed sheet. That's how they got around. Jesus. Yeah. And people don't even realize, like, what's going on in there. And, you know, and I was down in there, and I'm just, like, watching some of these amputees that have been there recovering for a little bit now, and I'm just like, man, they're fucking getting it. Like, they're, you know, they're, they're moving. They're doing shit, you know? And, yeah. And, uh, you know, I just kind of got to a place where I was obviously the guy in the ward with the leg still everybody you know so they kind of made fun of me and stuff like that you know we're all soldiers fuck around yeah. it's kind of like having a leg you're like the misfit man like <laughs> you, you don't even belong here type of thing you know yeah. So, yeah. you know and and then but honestly it just i i i just knew my baby was going to be walking soon i wanted to be like the dad that was there with her taking her first steps and and I, i'm like i can't even fucking walk you know and that sucked yeah, yeah. but i just made i just you know made the decision to like, you know, say, Hey, I want to just amputate this leg and, and, and work and get better and potentially hopefully have more mobility than I could and not be in yeah. so much pain anymore. Yeah. Um, and so I, you know, I went and talked to the doctor. He said, okay, you know, that's your choice. You know, you're, you're obviously with this, this, this injury, you're able to make that choice, but you have to see, you know, um, I had to see like three different psychiatrists to make sure I'm mentally making the right decision. Sure. Talk to my family about it. And, and then I, yeah. And then I just decided to go ahead and do it. And, and went through, went through with it. And, um, I remember, I think it was like less than 24 hours after the amputation of my leg. I, I felt a hundred times better. 
you felt how better mentally or physically? Mentally and physically. I just felt like all the pain had been cut off me literally. And I mean, I was just moving around. I was just, I was just more like, okay, now I get to recover. Now I get to kind of finally, yeah. okay, now the recovery really starts, you know? Sure. And, and then I was in a race to, you know, beat my daughter to walking, you know, was, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Take up her steps. Yeah. So that was just kind of like the goal of mine at the time was, okay, I want to get as healthy as I can, as fast as I can to like make sure that I, when my daughter takes her first steps, I get to take those steps with her. Yeah. And, and, and that, that was the goal. And that's what ended up happening, you know? And, uh, can I, can I ask you your other, is this your other knee in this photo here? Yeah. So that's kind of what I'm dealing with right now. Cause this looks like they just put screws anywhere. Like it doesn't even um, look like yeah, there's any rhyme or reason. It's a big fucking mess. <laughs> <laughs> just seriously. It looks like there's three uh, over here. One's going this way. Two are going this way. Like, Oh yeah. So basically when I dislocated my knee, that's uh, my other leg outside of my amputate, amputated, amputated side, I blew every ligament out, blew both meniscus out. So that's where a lot of people are like, wait, you're doing all that powerlifting with a knee like that. And I'm like, yeah, man, I'm yeah. Going Oh, it's crazy. It's, so the funny thing is, is that when I go to squat, unless I have a freak amount of weight on my back, I can't get past the, the, where I, the, the legal spot. Oh, so, you, so you're forcing your body down with weight. My body down. Yeah, oh my yeah. So Ed Cohen, he laughs because I remember when I was in Australia and I was warming up, all the guys are like, Ed, he's not going low enough. And, <laughs> yeah, and just wait a minute and it's usually right around like 500 plus pounds once i put that on my back i'll yeah. squat down and then that weight just kind of break helps me break the plane where i'm supposed to be i can't do it on my own sure. I a lot of guys can get a bar and they can do it and they can do yeah. it standing. Yeah. i can't do that dude I, why? I can't even squat no handed here's what's weird is i can't like you were to say case get up and just do a squat i can't do it with yeah. balance. i'll fall or yeah. i'll fall off balance but with hundreds of pounds I'm more stabilized. It doesn't and make any sense. Walk. It doesn't make any fucking sense. I know no. it doesn't, but it, but it works, you know? And, and, and I remember when I went out to, when I went out on the stage and you know, everybody was like concerned if I was going to make debt and I'm just burying these squats, you yeah, know, yeah. lower than some of these athletes, you know? Yeah. And, and they're, they just, it's just a funny story because yeah, I can't deal with it, but I'm having a lot of complications with this knee. I'm actually uh, supposed to have a potential knee, full knee replacement um, mm -hmm. end of this year, beginning of the new year. Um, I've been trying to just wait it out so I can continue to do what I'm doing. Yeah. Uh, my knee kind of did a weird shift the, um, about a couple of weeks ago where the bottom part went this way and the top part went this way. The ligaments are still intact, but yeah. from just over so many years of just doing what I'm doing, the bone grinding mm -hmm. is finally giving way and it's just kind of made it slide. Yeah. So if you watch some of my deadlifts, I start to, I look like I have a bow in my leg and I sure. just kind of bottom parts going this way and the other parts going this way. So it looks like this bow, uh, and so my doctors, they really don't want me to do this come upcoming competition and stuff like that because the potential yeah. of the blowing out. And if it does blow out, it could be very catastrophic because there's so much pressure inside. Be way worse. Yeah. Bad. But I'm just what? like trying to knock this last one out in October, I hope. So dude, why are you so strong? <laughs> like what the fuck? What's your you're saying you're talking about squatting five hundred pounds? What's your max squat? Uh I think my max squat's like five sixty something. Dude, that's insane. You're squatting five sixty on you know, with an amputated leg and then with basically no knee, like, I don't, I don't even, it doesn't even make sense. It's, I don't so know. I think I have a theory and correct me if I'm way off. I feel like because of what you went, what you went through, I feel like I'll take myself, for example, right. If I'm squatting like heavyweight, right. I know when I get to 500, my brain starts to mess with me. Yeah. Like, you know, this is heavy, be careful. You don't want to get injured, blah, blah, blah. Right. 
I find that the guys who lift the most don't have that mental barrier, mental block. I wonder if because of what you've gone through and how bad it was, that maybe this kind of thing doesn't scare you at all. No, and that's the thing. It's a, it's a good thing. It's a scary thing to be that way because uh, I'm not really scared of anything. I mean, yeah. What I mean, I just felt like I have been through some of the worst shit and the most pain. Like the pain that I went through, you know, I was in I was in the hospital for three years. I was in yeah. the hospital, and I've had. 40 50 stem surgeries you know mm-hmm. and, and the, the, the amount of pain that i could describe is you couldn't even imagine so you're and, still going through that pain now though yeah so i yeah every time so a lot of people be like man why you get so like like just crazy angry like hyped before you deadlift or you squat and stuff i'm like yeah because i know the amount of pain i'm about to feel every time i pull a heavy deadlift it hurts every time i squat it's painful um squatting is probably the most intimidating scariest thing that i do for me yeah. which is funny because you know when i post squat videos they don't do well on social media and i'm just like motherfuckers you guys don't understand like it's so much harder <laughs> because that, that, I- <laughs> that is hard. don't get me wrong it's hard but that squat is so intimidating for me and it's just i literally have to just black out and not even think about nothing yeah. uh, because the potential of like what could happen yeah. is you know, um, very scary and and um, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what keeps me going and doing it. Um, it's the challenge uh, for sure. But it's also like, I just feel like I'm now at a place where I was kind of given this, I don't want to say gift, but this mentality to kind of just show people like, like no matter what, how hard shit is or the things you've been through or your disabilities or, or fears or whatever, like, you know, it's capable. It's capable yeah. of happening. You know, I squatted for a whole year on a box squat. I would do box squats. I did that for a whole year before I finally hit a free squat for the very first time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. To, to have the confidence and the strength and, and the mental capacity to like, you know, and, and, the, and, the, and, and the form, my form, I guess, to be able to do a squat. It wasn't like one day I was like, you know, I'm going to squat. No, it was yeah. a lot of training physically and mentally to get myself capable of doing that type of squat um, at a competitive level. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then the strength just came and the fear kind of went away. And, and then I was just like, you know, I just kind of like, I think I've just become like, like I've just normalized myself to this is the way that my body is. And, and, you know, I don't, I live my life with the same prosthetic, the same leg, you know, I do everything on this leg. I mean, there's a lot of guys that'll switch out legs for certain things and do things. I just do it all on this one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It's just, like I said, I think I've just built myself to understand like, this is, this is just the way it is for me. How long have you been powerlifting now? Like you, since you got back from us, how long has it been? Four or five years now. Four or five years. And you're dealing with all this pain. So when you're, when you're deadlifting, you said you have excruciating pain. Is there any way you can describe any of that for people listening? Cause I'm like, most people would think, man, if it's that painful, like, like you wouldn't do it. Like you'd just be like, this is, this is too much. Like, and you said yourself, like people ask you, like, why are you doing it if it's that painful? But is it? Is it just to show other people, like, are you getting a high or a, is it a reward for you to, to show other people that there are no limits? Yeah, that's, 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 I, I mean, man, I, I don't know if I would be, I honestly don't know if I'd be doing this if there wasn't a, a way to like show people like what it is that I do. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's like, it's just like yesterday, I got this long message from this guy about like, how I've, he's 40 something years old, had all this stuff going on. I've just made him like his whole mindset change where he's now powerlifting and doing things that like at one point he never thought he was going to be able to do. And that is because sometimes people just need to see something to believe something. You know, if you can sit there and be, you know, 
like if I sit here and my daughter gets older and I tell, and I, and I describe, for example, and I describe Muhammad Ali. Sure. I can describe it. But then when you see it, you're like, oh shit. Yeah. Like it's different. Right. And so when you see something or you see somebody that is like just gone through the struggles and, 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 and things of me, like me in my life to come back and bounce back fully to be, you know, competing at a, at a decent level and lifting decent numbers, you know, it's just like, well, if he can do it, then I can do it. Yeah. But then it gets even better, right? When you have a perfectly healthy person who's just lazy, mentally not there or whatever, be like, damn, man, I feel like a piece of shit because yeah. this guy is out here going through pain, doing this shit, no excuses. And here I am healthy as a healthy as shit. And I'm just laying on my ass. I felt like that watching your videos. I was like, <laughs> I was, like, <laughs> I was so, laying there. I'm like, I think I'm going to take a day off today. And I'm like, fucking Casey's deadlifted 600 pounds. Yeah. So yeah, no. A lot. People were like, man, I was I was gonna take the day off of the gym, but fuck, you know. And, <laughs> and it's, you know, my dad, my own dad. You know, my dad pushed me a lot when I was a young kid, and and he's always been like, you know, I felt like mentally like pretty strong dude. And you know, as he got older, he got you know he got out of shape, he got overweight, he got so overweight at one point he became it basically made himself become diabetic. Yeah. You know, he, then he had a, a five way bypass, open heart surgery, and after that surgery, I was pissed. Yeah. I was so mad at him. You know, I'm like, I, I remember just yelling at him in his bed and being like, dad, you fucking caused this on yourself. You fucking did this. This is self-inflicted. Like, are you like, this is, you're basically like trying to commit suicide. Like this is on you, man. I said, that's fucked up. I said, you're, I said, you're a self. I remember just yelling. I'm like, you're so fucking, you're selfish. And I mean, him like, what, what the hell? And I said, do you like, you have, you, you have me, you know, I'm your son. I'm not trying to bury you anytime soon. You got, do you not want to see my daughter walk down the aisle? Like, do you not want to see her, do things in life and like what the f- because you yeah. want to eat like biscuits and gravy and shit my, my family's country you want yeah. to eat <laughs> grandma's biscuits and gravy and shit i love grandma's biscuits and gravy, but damn you know and, yeah. and 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 it really hit my dad seeing me get up that upset and and me being like and you see me go through all this shit and all this pain and i live my life like this and you're supposed to be my dad yeah you know and it really hit him and next thing you know my dad it had lost 60 plus pounds you know, went from walking a block to jogging like miles, yeah, yeah. you know, and awesome. no longer diabetic goes, gets his heart checked. He's healthy as shit. He's yeah. lived a lot more years now since then. Yeah, and yeah. That's, that's kind of like where I'm like, that's where I now just try to, I try to be with myself is there's been many times where I wake up on, on the edge of my bed. And I'm like, I'm in so much fucking pain and it's not just pain from this, but it's pain from powerlifting and doing what I'm doing. I'm like, how the fuck do I do this? This yeah. sucks. Like it sucks. You know, mm-hmm. my whole when I got blown up, my back was fractured, my legs were fucking mangled, my arm was blown up. You know, it's just that's all like your back and your legs. That's powerlifting, man. Yeah. And that shit sucks. You know, and I, and I feel it. You know, for days. And and then I and then I and then somehow I get this message from somebody, or I go read an old message from somebody, and I'm like, this is why I fucking do this shit. Yeah. This yeah. is why I do it. And, you know, and I may not become the greatest power lifter or I may not become like the most well-known, you know, but like there's a lot of people's lives who I felt like I've changed. And that's what keeps me kind of like getting up and doing this shit. You know, people are like, why are you doing this when your knee could like blow out? Well, it blows out, it blows out. I could be a, I could be a perfectly healthy athlete, go bust a squat, my knees blow. And you could still have that same injury. Yeah. Why the fuck am I, you know what I mean? Is my risk a little higher? Sure. But you, you can't, you can't put limitations and and your own fear into yourself you know if shit's sure. gonna happen it's gonna happen regardless true you know, and you just don't know when it's gonna happen so i don't know i yeah. just don't live my life like that i want to ask you because you said 
when you're in the military, they kind of knew your leadership material and hearing you speak about post injury and powerlifting and talking to your dad, it's all kind of the same person. Where did the leadership work ethic, where did that come from? Like, why is it so strong with you? Because it doesn't seem like there's any give in your attitude. I would say my dad, like I said, I remember when I was very young, you know, I I grew up like just an athlete, but I was a wrestler. I wasn't a great wrestler. I was a good wrestler, but I was very dedicated, you know, and I was that guy that like my dad would wake me up early in the morning and I lived about eight miles from my school. My dad would wake me up and say, you know, get your ass up. We're going. And I would go run from my house to my school. And my dad followed me in this silver gray intrepid car and he would follow (laughs) me and he'd be at a certain miles an hour. And if I slowed down that car would run it. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) My dad could tell you. How old were you? How old were you? I was in high school. (laughs) And, uh, you know, and then I would remember we would get to the gym and I, and I would, my dad would be like, all right, get on the scale. And I remember getting on the scale with like a sandwich. I was so hungry. And I'd get on the scale with a sandwich to see if I'd make weight with that sandwich. And if I didn't make weight, my dad would be like, well, I guess either one or two things. You could run another two or three miles and come back and weigh yourself with that sandwich or you don't need the fucking sandwich. And I would get my shit and go run because I really wanted that fucking sandwich. <laughs> and I just feel like that's just where it's kind of just built. Because when I'm doing that, I was telling my other guys, you know, the other, the other guys in high school, hey, you know, or I'd gather them up, we got to go do this, we got to run, you know, and then yeah, yeah. getting into the military, that whole like, that mindset just kind of went with me as far as like, I just want to eat this fucking sandwich, you know, and yeah. I got to walk these 25 miles to eat that sandwich, you know, type yeah. of thing. And, and that's kind of like, I've always just remembered that just fucking standing on that scale of that little last sandwich. And, and, you know, like I said, there was a point where I was going to go wrestle at this major tournament. And I was not, I was a good wrestler, not a great wrestler. My yeah. very first match of the day was, was against the top, one of the top three guys in the state of California wrestling, right? I ended up almost beating him because I was so fucking conditioned. Yeah. I almost came back to beat him. Yeah. And I lose barely, which people freaked out. Mm-hmm. I get put into a consolation bracket. I now mm-hmm. have to wrestle my way back. I wrestled all fucking day, ended up wrestling a top 10 ranked guy in the state. And ended up beating him and placing mm-hmm. in that tournament. Wow. It wasn't all. It wasn't because I was a great wrestler. It was because I was dedicated. Yeah. And and I and just that mentality that I had. It was just because I knew how important this tournament was, and I did everything I could to make sure I went there to be the best that I was. Mm-hmm. And those guys that were better than me didn't show up the best that they were that day, and I beat them. Yeah. So that's just how my life has just been ever since, all through the military, and then obviously, you know, getting put into leadership roles and. And, 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 and not just that, like, I, w- I really wanted to still be in the military. I was a lifer. I was, I, I made rank real well. I did real well, never in trouble. I loved everything about it. Yeah. And I never wanted to get out. And, you know, now it's like, I'm out, but I feel, still feel like I can still like be a leader to people. A different like, way. Yeah. A different way. And yeah. that, and don't get me wrong, I'm not fucking perfect. I make mistakes, you know, but yeah, yeah. I still try to be a leader in, in my own way and uh, try to stay to like my beliefs and like how I go about things. And, you know, I've come up with this saying that, um, you know, I would rather be crushed by hundreds of pounds than to one day die and not know what I was capable of. It's a sure. saying to me. I'd rather know that, you know, when people are just sure. like, well, stupid, you know, well, fuck, I want to know what I'm capable of, man. And a lot of people are starting to kind of live by that. Yeah. And you can put that into your head that, you know, like you with the squat, you know, if I like, like Ronnie Coleman, like he what's Ronnie Coleman's only regret. He didn't do that for another fucking rep. Yeah. Yeah. People say, well, now he's in a fucking wheelchair. I'm like, yeah, but that guy lived the greatest life. He's legendary. So, you know, I mean, bodybuilders now bodybuild because of Ronnie Coleman. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. mean, every, you can't, it's like, you can't, you can't have, there's just so much respect there. Yeah. You know, there's, some, just, 
It's yeah, just what, we're bodybuilders or powerlifters. We're not NFL players. Uh, I mean, every NFL player wants to be the greatest. Every powerlifter, bodybuilder wants to be the fucking greatest. Yeah. And that's what it took for Ronnie to be the greatest. You know, it's just like, you know, these NFL players, they could get severe concussions and down the road have, you know, CTE and, 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 and do crazy things. And, well, that, it's like, well, why would you want it? Well, it's because they wanted to be the fucking greatest, man. Yeah. I think sometimes too, it's not just about being the greatest. Sometimes it's about being the greatest version of who you can be. Like Absolutely. it's about, um, I think everybody has a voice that they talk to, you know, they talk to themselves. I mean, everybody has that voice. Right. So I think when you're shy of what you know, you could do, that voice is kind of there saying, yeah, you could have done a little bit more. You could have, yeah. you know, you had another gear, you didn't use it. And I think yeah. that's, I think for a lot of us that have our mindset, that's the fear is we don't want to be haunted by that voice that says you could have done a little bit more. Right. So, well, I mean, how many of us played football in high school and we're like, yeah, man, I should have played a little bit yeah. more, done yeah. a little more, miss yeah. it, you know, things like that. And not just, even just, not even just sports. I mean, even school, I think back to my going being actually academic and I'm like, yeah, I didn't really apply myself. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. Yeah, like, how am I doing what I'm doing nowadays? Like, you know, running a company and doing things and making mistakes as I'm doing, you know, I'm like, and if I would have just done a little bit better school, went on time, man, I could have, man, I really know some shit right now. <laughs> now, yeah. now as I get older, I'm like, I'm, I'm like getting more and more obsessed with learning. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I noticed that. Like, yeah. I want to, I want it all, you know, I'm reading, yeah. books. I hated reading books I I'm reading books, and <laughs> you know, I'm just doing shit. I'm like math and I'm like, man, what the fuck? Like this is, I want to know shit. <laughs> You know, and when you're younger, you don't really care about shit. You know what, what do you, I mean? what do you think that, what do you think that is? Cause I've, I've gone through that myself in certain genres. So I'm like, what do you think that is that all of a sudden kind of like, you know what? I think I, is it something that like, once you're good at one thing, you're like, maybe I can be good at other things or is it just getting older? I think it's that, but I also think it's probably who you started surrounding yourself around. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You, like, okay. I have this thing, right. When like, I, I always feel like it, who you surround yourself around by is like who you can eventually who you become so like if i grow up and i and i surround myself uh with gangbangers i'm more than likely i have a very high chance i'm gonna be a gangbanger yeah. right if i surround myself with you know um these uh science guys i'm probably gonna learn and become like science or you know bodybuilding whatever right so sure. i just i think like you like you know with you with your company you with bodybuilding you started surrounding yourself with bodybuilders so what you do you became a bodybuilder yeah. you know, I, the bodybuilding progressed as well, as you bodybuild with, you know, who you are and the people that you get to meet, you get yourself around a lot of business people, you sure. start to business, you're like, okay, I, I can make more money running a company than being a bodybuilder alone, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, then, then you're surrounding yourself with business people, and then what happens? Now you have your own business. Mm-hmm. Now you're really around business people, and, and, and then now, like, okay, well, what is this guy doing, this business guy doing? that's making his company so more, much more successful than mine. Yeah. And then it's just, now it's just, it wasn't even, you know, it's funny. Effect, you know what it's I mean? funny. You said that about money, like, Oh, well, I could make a lot more money doing it. It wasn't even that it was, I was seeing the people that had the companies Yeah, mm-hmm. and I was like, it wasn't money as much as it was. That guy doesn't know more than I do about this. That too. I'm like, yeah. if that guy can do it, I can do it for sure. Absolutely. And that's yeah. kind of what, that's kind of what motivated me is I'm like, well, I'm, that guy's not better than I am at this thing over here. So like, Right. Why don't I? Like, I'm I'm here. Here I am. I have a social media platform. Here I am. You're paying me this little bit of money, but but you're but I know my sales are making all this money for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're making money off me. How about I want like I this? You're using me. So wait. I know you have to get to a point to be able to sit back and be like, okay, I want to run my own company or do my own stuff. But it's just like I was just like, man, I could be doing this too. Yeah. 
And then you obviously have your own way of doing things like how this guy builds products is not how I would build products. Sure. I would do it for this, you know, yeah, like my yeah. products are probably different than your products. You know, yours are minor, like mine are more towards power lifters and those type of guys. Right. And then you get some like, you know, your company and stuff like that. I'm not saying yours are towards for power, but it's just yeah, yeah. bodybuilding, you know, sure. and just, you know, I'm, that's your thing. Like you're yeah, gonna yeah. one of the great, greatest pump pre's out there. Right. And, yeah. and things like that. So, that, that's what I think. I think it's just, yeah, I think that's what clicks. I think it's just who you surround yourself by. And that's kind of where I was. I started hanging around with people that own businesses, that ran companies, even not even just supplements or in the uh, fitness industry stuff, just other things. And I was so like, just admired by it. I'm like, man. And, and not yeah. just that, like the workload. I like that shit. Yeah. 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 I, I don't know. Like last night I worked late last night and I was tired as shit. But I still got up and went to the gym and did shit last night late. Yeah. I didn't get up until midnight last night. And it's just like, I remember sitting down like, I'm like fucking tired. Yeah. You know, but I don't know. I those, days feel, those days feel good. They feel great. I'm like, yeah. but I just literally got up and went and just got yeah. it done. And I'm like, that's, I don't know. I, I don't know. I like, I like the feeling of like stress, yeah. you know, and, and, and exhaustion. Yeah. I feel like I'm doing shit. Yeah. You know? So as a, as a professional bodybuilder for, you know, over a decade, I lived off of contracts and primarily. Yeah. And so my days were surrounded by eating and training, which there's a lot of like spaces in there where you're not doing shit. I do shit. Yeah. And now I find life a little bit more rewarding. I can't full-time bodybuild as good as I used to, mm -hmm. but my days are full now of the podcast or the business or the, and the bodybuilding. And it's like, I have those same days you do at the end. You're just like white, white yeah. but you feel accomplished and you feel like it's kind of like having a really hard leg day. Yeah. Where you're like, it sucks. But when you're done, you're like, you did it. You know yeah. what I mean? So before you go, listen, I want to, I want to show people your, so this is your supplement company. When did you start this? Uh, just a couple of years ago. And how's yeah. it going? It's going obviously, you know, with um, COVID happening and stuff, it was a little, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, gym shut down, you're not selling a group of supplements, but you know, I just started this company and, and it's been the hardest most rewarding thing you know i've learned so much i've made a lot of mistakes but um i feel like that's just part of it you know what i mean uh, i don't I, I i didn't get the opportunity to get crazy you know um, which is fine like you know people to back my company and stuff like that yeah. it's just started, you know just a little bit of money started off with a couple products and it slowly has generated into more more products and more SKUs and different flavors and things like that sure and it's it's fucking hard man <laughs> how but but how great was it when you got your first tub What's that? Like, how great was it when you got your very first tub, like finished with the label on it and yeah, the whole thing? Oh, so crazy, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Damn, I'm actually really doing this shit, you know. Yeah. And, you know <laughs> yeah. I was like, really gonna, this is really gonna happen, and um, you know, and I'm still like, I'm still like learning things, and I'm trying to get better at the formulations because I feel like the formulations you can always, they can always get better. I mean, yeah. pro ingredients come, pro you know, different things. They're changing, changing monthly. I feel like, yeah, you know, yeah. It's like my pump, my pump pre. <clears throat> Uh, it, it people like it i hate it like and then i get some people that don't like it because they don't understand that the clumping comes from the glycerol and stuff sure. like that and yeah. they don't understand that glycerol is a great ingredient you know and yeah, it's just yeah. eh, but it's just like more of an aesthetic thing they get it and they're like uh what is this you know yeah. so so right now i'm in transitioning of, of we've reformulated that pump pre and we got a new one coming that's completely different yeah uh, the texture's different the pump's different everything's different but it's just like a thing it's just like God i damn, didn't i didn't change mine I'm like, no, I'm like, I'm like, I'm not, I don't care. What's that? You have the glycerol in yours. Yeah. I'm like, listen, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not, listen, I don't care if you don't like the fact that it's clumping. 
but you are going to benefit more absolutely with the glycerol than it being powder form and not having glycerol so i'm like so so instead of removing it i try and educate i'm like listen it's just a humidity thing break it up put it in the water once it's in the water and dissolves you're going to get the same benefit absolutely so yeah no i but no i like slap it in the water and it it, it literally breaks down there's nothing in that yeah Yeah. and you're gonna get some of the greatest pumps and you do you know yeah yeah yeah, I mean, just like I said, just slowly, just slowly changing things, mixing things, trying to make the you know customers happy, and and, mm-hmm. and 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 at the same time, but sticking to the guns of like, like you said, of like, well, I, this is what this is yeah. the reason why. Well, you know? one of the things I realized is you can never make everybody happy. Yeah. So my philosophy about the company is, I need first of all, I need to be able to use it myself. Right. And second of all, I'm going to put my best foot forward, and this is the best I can do. If somebody doesn't like it, there's nothing I can do about it. Right. It's like the glycerol thing. You might not like it, but I know it works. Yeah. So, so it's not going anywhere. Right. <laughs> so it's like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so some things I just won't bend on, even I if swear, like, I swear to God, my customer service thing, the number one thing is that glycerol shit. Yeah, I know. I get it too. Oh, I just, I just try and educate. I just, yeah. I have a standard response that I've, I've given to our people that respond on customer yeah. service. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you have to tell them it's just humidity. It will yeah. break down and it is not degraded at all. Right. Yeah. The, so. the thing that I was like, uh, you know, I, I, what we started doing was, uh, I just had stickers made. Yeah. And, that's and a good I, idea. Without just slap it on there, slap it on the sure. top of the bottle and just, it goes, or, you know, when you get shipments and just have your, you know, have people just slap a bunch of stickers out. Yeah. But you know, we just have a little sticker, right? Like a little thing. And we just, if it was, if uh, it was, uh, my, my, my pump free is called primitive. So if primitive comes through, just grab that, slap that sticker. It has a warning label. Like, Hey, yeah. You know, plumping. These are the reasons why. And it just makes it easy because now, and what that is, that kind of cut back on customer service because then they, I mean, that's the customer service, right? On top of that's the right. That's right. Yeah. Explanation of like why the reasoning. Can I, uh, can I steal that idea from you? Absolutely. can. <laughs> <laughs> it works, dude. It, yeah, it yeah. Works. You know, it works. So it, it is so easy to get a little stickers made with a warning and just writing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, clumping can happen, you know, but, yeah, yeah. um, and then that's it. It has a little description on why it was clumping and then, you know, it's helped out a lot, you know, yeah. to be honest with you. So yeah, use that. And I know you might be, you might be surprised at how much you save me are. some time. Yeah. yeah so, <laughs> um, so it's just, it's been, like I said, everything's been great, man. It's just, like I said, it's the hardest, most difficult thing I've ever done is running a business because I don't have, I, I graduated as a high schooler and went to, as a, I was a, a grunt in the army, man. Um, yeah. No, yeah. Business. But I, you know, it's, it's funny though. You know what? I think like, I obviously there's a numbers side to business, but you know, your personality seems like it's very giving as far as like wanting to help people. And I think that's the biggest component of business, man. Like, like that's how my company runs. Like our, our formulas are, you know, we're spending more on our formulas than most companies, but I'm like, look, I just want to give people what, what supplements should be. Right. right. Yeah. And, uh, I think as long as you're giving like in business, as long as you're giving back to people, you're going to be successful. I think, yeah. I think people can tell when you're out just to get their dollar and you don't really give a shit about them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that you know was I mean? something when I got into this, you know, uh, you know, you see a lot of gaps in other companies products. And that was something that I was like, I just don't, how do you, how does, how, like, how are they getting away with that? You know, yeah, yeah. But the, the weird thing is though, as like, we're, I don't know, times are kind of changing where these, these young kids are fucking knowing this shit. Yeah. Oh yeah. Readers. And they like to know shit. And like, you know, you, and those are the ones I'm like, okay, I'm that, that was me too. It's like, you know, when I was building my products, I got that a lot. It's like, well, if you didn't use this or this, and you got rid of this and this, you know, your margin is going to be better. Yeah, exactly. Not about, yeah. Yeah. Could I make more money real fast, but I'm trying to be like longevity. 
Sure. Yeah. I want longevity with my company and I want these customers to know that they're just getting good shit. Cause I, I feel like if I, if they try it, you know, just like you, if they like, yeah. you know, you're doing the same thing, they try it, they know they're getting everything out of that. So they'd rather spend the $40 here getting everything than the $38 over here. That's right. Not getting all this. Right. And yeah. me, I'm going to pay two more dollars for a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, right. at, at its root, it's just building trust. Right. You want yeah. people to, you want people to trust you. So yeah. I think that's yeah, the, that's kind of like where I've been at. That's why you'll get some people, you know, I'm sure you have it with your products, obviously if you're doing them the same way as like, man, I just never, you know, this night, my recover better. I don't, yeah. I, yes. I don't like this. I'm like, well, yeah, it's cause we got, there's like three or four things in here that this company doesn't have that you were using. That's right. That's right. Yeah. You know, yeah. People with my pump one, they're like, man, you're, you're putting pink Himalayan salt in it. I'm like, well, yeah, because yeah. I know a lot of bodybuilders, they put pink Himalayan. You'll see put a, their own dash of it. Yeah. 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 Like, well, you know, just I'll pay a little money. You don't even have to do that now. Put and, it in there. Yeah. Give you a great product, you know, and yeah. just things like that, you know, just things like sure. that. So sure. yes, yeah, like you said, man, it's just building trust. And, and, and I mean, at the end of the day, we're here and we're in the health and fitness. Yeah. But sometimes I feel like it's one of the most scandalous industries sometimes, you know, can be, yeah. Yeah. It is, like, you get a lot of companies that are, you get these, just these rich guys that come in and just start supplement companies. I've said it they all. Yeah. They're not really the powerlifters, the bodybuilders, the weightlifters, the crossfitters. They're just, they're just businessmen. And yep. all they give a fuck about is money. Yes. And that I've, makes guys like you, me, other companies that are actually like athletes. Mm-hmm. It makes it even harder for us because we're putting a lot more money into our products to, to, to not get as big as margins. But I think you're but right though. It. Yeah. I think you're right though. People are, are waking up to that. I think so. And uh, maybe not on a mass level, but I think it will come around eventually. And, and so it's beneficial. But um, before we go, I would be crazy if I didn't mention this because I'm a car guy. And I noticed that this is the last thing I'm going to talk to you about. And then I'll let you go because I know we've gone way over the amount of time that I was uh, going to keep you for. But your car. <clears throat> so I'm reading this. Uh, <laughs> I'm reading this post here. Yeah. And it says, what's your dream car? I always oh. wanted a Hellcat. So when did you finally get this beauty? Um, so I got my Hellcat probably about three years ago. It was the same for me. I When that car first came out, and yeah, that's the Fast and the Furious house right there. Um, I've been a car <laughs> guy my whole life. Um, I've just loved cars. And that I don't know. When the Hellcat first came out, I was like, God dang, that is the car. Yeah. And I finally was able to get one a few years ago. And I still have it. I love it. I'll never sell it. Never get rid of it. Um, I've done a lot of modifications to it and have me and a couple of my friends have really built that car. Ourselves. What, have, what have you done to it? Like just uh, pre- briefly, you don't have to go through everything. Yeah, no. So I put, you know, it's got long tube headers, it's got upper pulley. It's got a, um, a, nice. a upgraded intercooler system. You know, it's been dynoed. I've ran nine, eight quarter miles out here. No way. Yeah. I ran, my fastest time is nine, eight. You, you know, ran so. a nine, eight quarter mile. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah, that's, nine, and it, that's demon speed. That's demon speed. Yeah. That's demon yeah. speed. My car will do, you know, nine, eight, 10, one, always pretty much. I, I love hearing that. That's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's loud. I mean, it, it, I get in trouble often with it, but <laughs> with the long tube headers. <laughs> yeah. I got my voice up the other day and he's like, your car sounds like a damn jet, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's just long tube. It's, and I live in California, so it's rough out here, yeah. but yeah, just long tubes, headers, straight pipe all the way out. the. Back. You can't, that's not even legal. <laughs> well, here's, here, there's a loophole because in California, when you buy a brand new car, you don't have to have uh, it smog for years. 
Oh, that's right. So you just wait and then, yeah. And then, and then I got to find a homie, you know? Yeah. You have to, <laughs> yeah. I have to find a guy, but no, it's, it's, I love it. And, uh, you know, it's like, is that your daily? Yeah, it's my daily. So dude, what do you, okay. So this is the thing. So now we're talking cars. So I'm thinking about, I bought an Escalade, which, okay. So before the Escalade, I had an F250 uh-huh. jack, jacked up on 38s. Yeah. L- loved it. Right. I got rid of the F-250. I bought an Escalade and I'm like, kind of feel like an old man now. I'm like, this thing's cushy and it's like, ah, it's just too nice. Right. So now I'm thinking maybe I'll get like an in-between. So I was thinking about a TRX. Yeah. I love my buddy has one. Fuck. Yeah. Whew. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> so <laughs> right now I got, right now I got the Trackhawk. Right. So I figure I'll have a Trackhawk and the TRX. Yeah. But I'm, I don't want to daily the TRX because I heard gas mileage is fucking ignorant with this thing. Yeah. So I'm asking you, if you're running nine eights, you got to be, you know, running 700 horse at least, maybe more. Yeah. So I, tu- I, tu- I so I have two tunes on it. Yeah. So when I am driving it out of the track, I, I just plug it into my. Oh, okay. And I put the, I put it on a 91 octane tune. Yeah. Kind of simmers are simmers are down. Still fast as shit. Yeah. Like yeah. Street, there's not a lot of cars that are just ready to roll that'll take that car. Yeah, but it does simmer it down a little bit, and then we were able to get it to where it kind of like it'll still stay on eco mode too. <laughs> I could be mobbing and click it in eco mode and get freak ass gas mileage because really the cylinders shut down still and yeah, great gas mileage. Yeah, so no, I I drive that thing no problem. It's not like yeah, if I'm like smashing around the city like a crazy ass, like getting on her a lot. Yeah, it'll drain yeah. the fuel, but um, no, it actually does pretty well, especially freeway. It thing does great on gas what's your buddy think of the trx is it is it just draining his pocket or is it worth it uh, he's in love with it really and i wrote i wrote it and i raced it in mine i was like motherfucker that's is a it- truck like i mean i want one like i yeah. want i like it like i want one because that thing is just that thing's crazy how he, cool- has, he has a track hawk too his wife has a track hawk yeah yeah his wife has a track hawk and now he bought the trx and that trx is vicious they're pretty i think they're pretty much the same speed because i think the trx is supposed to do yeah. like a he put some modifications on that TRX already. <laughs> yeah. He just had it dynoed. It's doing some crazy shit. It's running like it's run. It's crazy. And the way it hooks, like I couldn't believe it when he punched it. I was like, what the fuck? All wheel drive. Yeah. Yeah. On. I, was, I can't believe it's the same speed as it is. It gets the same zero to 60 times as a, as a track hawk though, because the truck is, that truck is big, man. Yeah. It's crazy. It's, yeah, it's just wild. Yeah. You know, it's got a little bit more torque than the, than the yeah. truck. Yeah. Yeah. In the way it does it's probably that launch right out the gate is probably what is probably what's keeping it in that zero to 60 um time frame with the track hawk because i race track hawks and i on the streets i, I at a dead stop the track hawk will yeah leave gone. but track when i'm able to put slicks on and stuff like that yeah. i can i can launch on them pretty well but i've raced a track hawk on the street and i mean that thing it looks like it just hops out like it just yeah. pops out there it's just what the yeah hell? You know, i remember the first time i raced one I, it jumped out in front of me so fast it's what the fuck is that? <laughs> because uh, well, cool, i'm a, I'm a mopar guy i love it i love all, everything that mopar is doing you know and it's yeah, just, yeah yeah it's just it's incredible to see what that thing does yeah the, i would the, i've always wanted a, a, a trx but you know my goal is like i do want a, a viper acr one day i know? think i read that and you thought that's a sweet yeah, car I've always, man. Wanted, I've always wanted one since i was a little boy you know i remember just the, the viper but i heard ACR. i heard you can't daily that car though man i heard it's oh. rough it's rough as fuck Probably. I just, yeah. As long as it's sitting in my driveway, I'm stoked. <laughs> you just look <laughs> at it, yeah. But, you know, obviously the Demon is something that I wish I would have bought. Um, and I should have bought it because it was, you know, it wasn't a crazy amount more than my Hellcat at the time. And I wish I would have bought it because that's when, then, you know, then they stopped making it's them. It's a collector's like, item now. Yeah. 
my buddy just bought one not too long ago and i'm just like God, yeah man. yeah man now i mean i think i know a guy who bought four when they first came out yeah and kept them and never drove them sold sold three out of three of them and made bank off them you yeah. know so, yeah uh, demons are, the demons a pretty car and that, that's sometimes what i'll just tell people like you know i may not have the logo but i'll, I'll whip that demon's ass <laughs> that's right <laughs> <laughs> you know get out there get on them a little bit but no <laughs> great cars man yeah that's yeah. cool I didn't, I didn't know you had those but that's a yeah if you're I've, thinking about trucks, so I, I would get it i would get it because i i don't think they're gonna be around very long i just don't i just don't want to dump i don't want to fill up gas like twice a week you know what i mean like well, yeah, mob desk mob, mob escalator around here and there you know but uh, <laughs> i mean that, that, i think you'll be i think you'll be okay i think you'll be okay i i, I think you could I don't know the whole like settings on that thing, but like my guy, he drives his all around town all the time and he doesn't bitch and complain about it at all. Yeah. Well, it's like a friend of mine said, you got to pay to play. You want the toys, you got to fucking pay for them. So yeah. And I, but like I said, it's, it could be a collector item to that TRX. You know, I don't yeah. think it's gonna be around. I don't really don't think it's gonna be around very long. No, I, but I don't know. Cause the Raptor's coming out with a Raptor R. So I don't yeah, think Dodge, I don't think Dodge is going to want to fall back. Yeah. We'll see. I, I, don't, uh, think I don't know. Well, I mean, Dodge is, they, they stopped, they stopped, uh, they're not making the Hellcats or any of that stuff anymore, supposedly. Really? That's what they're saying. That's what I've heard. They're, they got. I saw. I saw a commercial that they're putting out one of the fastest electric cars ever. Imagine that going from the Challenger, which is like, you know, the roughest, yeah, street car you can get to an electric car. It's so funny, right? Because I'll I'll pull up to like Mustang Shelby's, yeah, you know, Camaro ZL1s, and they're still like yeah. Hellcat. Man. The Hellcat, yeah. It sounds different. Just just yeah yeah. yeah mean sounding man you just, know it's uh, different i was just talking to this uh talking about this to some of the guys the electric cars are faster obviously but there's just not the same feeling without the sound right of the, of the engine and everything so i don't know i don't know if i'll ever be an electric car guy but no i don't think so either. i can't handle it. i need that raw sound the, just the power and the just, just everything yeah. i need i need that yeah. in my life yeah. like there's just nothing like it you know i, I get next to some teslas and stuff and I, they take off and i'm like the fuck was that <laughs> <laughs> like the that? they're fast they can't but they can't they can't yeah. keep up with me top top speed not the you top know, end no after uh, about 100 miles an hour they're getting they're getting yeah. peed on pretty bad so yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. that's why i know you own those that's cool stuff but yeah i yeah, would man. definitely consider the, the trx for sure all right uh casey listen i want to say a couple things i just want to say uh thank you for your service i want to say uh because i didn't say it throughout the podcast i didn't want to interrupt but sorry for your losses all right and uh if you want to say is there if there's anything you want to finish with if you want to thank anybody or if you want to say anything before we go uh I'll let you have the last word i mean the only thing that i would like to say you know to people that listen to this is just you know it's going to be rough for a lot of the guys that did the global world terrorism wars um it's rough on us right now uh you know if you just happen to see a bet you know or something like that you know one of these young guys just you know just let them know that it, it wasn't meaningless to what, what happened what happened mm -hmm. Um, you know, we, we, you know, that they, maybe they did the best at keeping, you know, the terrorists at bay from coming here into America. That's the way I'm trying to think of it right now. Yeah. Cause if we didn't keep them out of Afghanistan and stuff like that, at least we, we kept them out of our doorstep. And I think if you just let them know that, I, I, I truly believe it'll, it, 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 it'll mean a lot to a lot of those guys. Sure. Um, cause it, it is rough right now. Um, I talked to a lot of my soldiers stuff and they're pretty it's hurtful. It's hurtful. And, yeah. it, and we, we almost feel meaningless right now. Yeah. And, um, I don't want to see that happen ever again like what happened to vietnam vets happened to us and uh my guys don't deserve that other soldiers don't deserve that the families who lost you know they don't deserve that um so you know if you just happen to say something or you know somebody that like lost family or knows or anything like it just 
they just drop them a line or if you see them say something i think that'll it'll go a long ways just yeah. to like let let the soldiers know that you know what we did wasn't meaningless that's all okay i think it's a good note to finish on uh casey i appreciate your time man thank you very much and uh we will talk to you soon hopefully we'll come on you'll come on again after maybe next before your next powerlifting meet or after your next powerlifting meet we'll talk some more i'll get out there to your gym i just saw you built that new gym wall yeah well i gotta get some i gotta get more plates for you i think oh, come on <laughs> <laughs> all right brother yeah we we'll do something anything you let me know okay brother good to see you man good talking to you bye-bye hey guys thanks for watching please subscribe share with your friends and like the video and if you get a chance, check out the description for all the different links to all the different places you can find Hostile and myself. And lastly, check out Hostile.com for our new line of supplements and all of our apparel and gear. Thanks again for watching.